TNA Wrestling. Cross the line. The world is a vampire. Set to drain. Secret destroyers. Hold you up to the flame. What do you get for your pain? Betrayed desires. And a piece of the game. Despite all your rage, you're still just a rat in the six sides of steel cage. I don't ever recall saying that I'd had my last match here in TNA. Deep down in here, I am a wrestler. Well, I stayed away from the ring for a long time, and it wasn't that hard because I wasn't so close to it. When I see matches day in and day out, it reminds me of the man that I used to be. Mick, if you wanted back in the game, all you had to do was ask. Who the hell are you to tell me? Well, I'm not enough. You're making all the decisions now. You're the decider. Mick, your body is ravaged. I'll tell you when I've had enough, and it's not yet. I'm going to be responsible for ending your career, Mick. What you call hell, I call home. I was looking for happiness, and by God, I found it. The main event mafia has been dominating since October. Samoa Joe, the main event mafia made a mistake last time. I hope to God that you bring Jack Terry. You want me? You got me. We're going to end both of your careers. My only purpose for being here is to torture And I guarantee you, we will not let you down. Not this time. Main Event Mafia will never die! Have you lost your mind, Mick? I didn't care about human life. Have you lost your mind, Mick? Shut your mouth! Shut it! Shut your mouth! Shut it! Shut it! Shut it! Shut it! Shut it! Shut it! We're not going to be reliving history. We will be making history. This just your mind. It's showtime, Mick. Icon versus Legend. I am the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Are you and I in lockdown, and I will tear you apart. You lost your mind, Mick. And now, TNA Wrestling presents the most dangerous pay-per-view of the year, Lockdown. We've managed to pass over AJ Styles' tremendous coat. It's just an oversized beige leather coat. <laughs> Horrible I, stuff. What it says to me, what it reminded me of, is that picture, the famous picture of the Man United squad from yeah. about 2006. <laughs> well, yeah, that one. Rhea Ferdinand, Paul Scholes, and yeah. Rooney. The, boot, and, the bootcut jeans, the shoes, the, the yeah. massive coats. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Yeah, so much. that is every group chat that I've got if we're meeting up for a couple of drinks later that picture inevitably gets posted <laughs> in it us later on lads
Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review. We're back after a one-week break, and during that time, my baby son was born, and of course, we named him Rick Boogs Spindler, so that he and Shinsuke Nakamura Smith would be nailed on for victory in the 2045 Mixed Match Challenge. Joining me today is old man Sam Carey. You're right, lads. <laughs> and also Scylla Black. And we also have Tom Smith. Hmm. I'm trying to think of other... Like 80s and 90s game show hosts that I could quickly do an impression of. Oh, and oh, I just oh good think, game, good game. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about big, uh, big, um, what the fuck his name is, Bruce Forsyth. Horrifyingly, my, my first thought went to Jim Davidson. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to do one of him because he's a cunt. So hello, lads. And uh, I can't wait for you and me to be the uh, the Stu and Helen Hart sat ringside watching <laughs> our kids. <laughs> kids go and take the glory at wrestlemania in the mixed uh, in the mixed tag match lovely old job yes indeed now if you're joining us for the first time welcome today is as good a place as any to begin on your journey with us but once you've listened and enjoyed take a look through our growing archive of episodes which there are now 65 of and pick out the ones you are interested in we've done shows spanning 1984 to the current year from wwe wcw nxt ecw aew awa and of course now TNA. So there's bound to be something that takes your fancy. And that is because today we are doing our first ever TNA show. TNA Lockdown 2009. Just looking for signs of panic on Tom's face to make sure he's done the right show. Looks like we're all good. The panic was when I realised I'd done the right show. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So yeah, we're diving into new new waters, new frontiers, I suppose, for this one. Before we go into everything we're going to be talking about today, just a kind of a little bit of a disclaimer. I am recovering from COVID today, so I'm not 100% there yet. I've still got a bit of a cough, still a bit blocked up. So you might hear me cough. You might hear me breathing heavily at the times. I mean, you probably hear that anyway, because I get exhausted as it is, especially trying to hold these two up most of the time. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't come across too much he's a cheeky little frick isn't he yes i didn't even script that one in so today of course first time ever talking about tna looking at a tna show and so today's topic is what are our experiences of tna or impact as it is now known impact wrestling they've decided to get rid of the silly pun which made up their uh, initials from the get-go apparently by the way that was uh, the brainchild of jerry jarrett jeff's dad who decided oh. that they would get some pay-per-view buys based on the fact that people would think it was porn <laughs> I mean, it's it's an interesting approach to naming your wrestling company. I'm sure they could have gone for the much more if they if they're after the porn audience. I'm sure they could go for a much more uh, a horrific title if they wanted to depend on what they want. So they could have called it like scat wrestling, and it could have been like people who are into like the shit stuff and like like Hulk Hogan apparently based on that sign yeah. at the uh, in the last episode we watched, or just cum wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> cum wrestling or cum wrestling and the throbbing cocks. <laughs> well, they could just call it come bracket wrestle <laughs> come wrestle so you could either think to it is come here and wrestle or just come and then wrestle lovely yeah. stuff you get an entire t- untapped audience dirt boys we need to start our own fucking wrestling company <laughs> <laughs> thoughts like that if you think jerry jarrett had some success imagine what we'd have no oh, that's true that's very true i can't i'm sorry i can't leave this i think what so so we talked about uh jr saying smart sexy powerful mm. 
about the Divas, the thought of Jerry Jarrett sitting there and going, Jeff, Jeff, we should call it TNA because people don't think it's porn. Just, oh. But at the same time as all, Jeff Jarrett was like, yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, let's not put all the blame on old Jerry. He's just like, he could just be a mental old man at this stage. If any, any rational person would have gone, ignore him. Get back in the corner. Stop trying to fuck that armchair, dad. And just <laughs> go away. <laughs> You know, it's not, we're not calling it that. We're going to call it Impact Wrestling. Nope. Tits and ass. Lovely old job. Yeah, so of course they, they started off with a weekly pay-per-view model. That was how they started off. So drawing pay-per-view buys was a key part of their uh, of their business model at the start anyway. That was from about 2002 to 2004 until they got their national television deal. Interestingly, Russo apparently claims that he came up with the name as well. So well, the, how, there are two people who are staking their claim on this <laughs> terrible name. You thought someone would gone you know yeah absolutely it was vince it was vince russo it wasn't nothing to do with me (laughs) but no they're both foolish enough to actually want it and you know even if he didn't vince russo would claim that he did and then argue how good a name it is to the death bro bro is the fucking great name bro or whatever it is he sounds like (laughs) (laughs) so old man let's start with you what is your experiences of of tna prior to watching this show for this episode of the podcast no covid just a little just a little cum. Uh, Wrestling. So. <laughs> uh, so I was trying to think about this when we were going to talk about our hopes and fears or our expectations. So I've watched a match between Kurt Angle and Abyss. It was great stuff. Really good. And I've had dalliances, but nothing ever consistent this is the first pay-per-view i've ever watched of tna not a huge amount of experience with tna then no i always found it quite interesting and then uh, to be honest the one time that i was i think us three might have been living together when hogan and everyone went in there yeah and i can remember watching the first episode and then maybe bits and pieces of the subsequent weeks subsequent like month or so and it was fucking awful <laughs> it was awful and uh since then i've not touched it with yours <laughs> tom um i've got a little bit more experience at old man and i have touched it with my own so i've i remember when it was on bravo was it on bravo over here maybe i used to watch it from time to time but i did have a couple of dvds so there's like a, a best of samoa joe dvd that i had which had that amazing triple threat match with aj stars and christopher daniels on i had bound for glory i'm just trying to find the date bound for glory which has got the um samoa joe kurt angle match 2006 i think yeah no it might might be genesis then because i think phil collins was involved as well (laughs) (laughs) and peter gabriel yes yeah and and the guy and the guy from mike and the mechanics yeah mike Michaelson, I think his name is. <laughs> then I also had, I did have a lockdown pay-per-view as well. Again, I can't remember what which one it was, but I did have a lockdown pay-per-view. And I, made, I remember finding it actually initially quite interesting. I was locked down in 2007 because I found the idea of there being, you know, every match in a cage to be quite a novel concept uh, until I watched it. But yeah, so I got a bit more. And then, like Old Man said, definitely watched a bit during the, the Hogan and Flair and all that shit. And it was really bad and at that point i think i was when i was like nah i'm not interested anymore i don't know i could never really take it seriously when before they had all of those kind of big names in it, it seemed like quite an interesting place for like reasonably interesting young indie wrestlers that you hadn't heard of before or ones that had kind of slipped through the net whereas then it basically became like a shitter i can't even say this a shitter version of 
shit WCW in terms of just getting anybody who was an ex-WWF guy. No disrespect to man, but around that time, they brought in Sean Morley and tried to tried to give him a push. And he's only interested in if he's, if he's pretending to be a porn star. So <laughs> it was, I remember at that time, it was really, really rough. So yeah, I don't ever, I've never had much time for it. Oh, you're right, I got to go out. He was, touched upon this the other week. He was fantastic in right center. Walking wrestling lovely he was a reformed porn star exactly though. a yeah. recovering porn star so yeah. well i'm not surprised he was recovering all that bloody cum wrestling he's been doing <laughs> for inaugural champion Valve <laughs> of course he is so my um personal kind of experience of tna i've had quite a lot and i think actually tna kind of mimics wsw in quite a lot of ways in terms of the a number of eras or periods of time there are where you could probably see something very very different depending on what you're watching so i think early tna after they got onto national television and they first brought in the likes of Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, the Motor City Machine Guns, Jay Lethal, all those kinds of guys, was actually pretty straightforward booking. Like it was similar to the way NXT was at one point. Very kind of quite basic booking, good matches, sort of very good rhythm of monthly pay-per-view shows where they built up to something and gave you a really good show of wrestling. Then they got to about 2007 and Vince Russo came in as part of the kind of booking team. And there was like a three-year period there, which includes the show we're talking about today where it was booked in a very different way in a very Vince Russo way if you like and they started to bring in some of the bigger names it coincided with Kurt Angle's arrival in the company then 2010 obviously you've mentioned it Hogan coming in them shifting impact to Monday nights to try and go up against Raw and uh, them throwing pretty much everything at the wall which not only included Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam coming in but also included the Nasty Boys and and as you said Sean Morley and I think Orlando Jordan these were some of the big names that uh, TNA sort of signed at the time they went on their kind of reign of terror for three years or so bruce pritchard then came in so there's another sort of mini period there for about a year and a half where he was in charge and things sort of settled down a bit then they had a bunch of time when they were struggling with trying to keep themselves on a big major national television network and then they've kind of settled into what they are now which is with all due respect a certain amount of irrelevancy to the overall business but actually i watched no surrender from last year in february of last year and actually it was a very decent show very tidy show very good wrestling i watched a few of the episodes and they'd gone back to being more of a simpler promotion with more simple booking and just kind of building slowly in a nice rhythm each four weeks to a ne- the next big event. So they've kind of gone through a lot of different phases. I've watched bits and pieces of all of them, but my favourite phase of the company just happened to be the very first, the earliest I saw of TNA. So when they were that kind of much more basic, simple, um, story-driven, but with great matches promotion where they were emphasizing that indie talent and they did kind of bring all of the really best indie wrestlers into tna until about halfway through 2006 and suddenly wwe decided to start kind of going after them and that's when cm punk and brian danielson came into to wwe tna almost turned away from that recruitment policy which i think was a mistake because that's how i enjoyed them most at that time the other thing i'd also quite like to add is that we all went to a tna t- a show didn't we in uh, in did. coventry yeah. on, yeah. Their, in the, on their first tour which was a lot of fun i remember mm. but again it was just good wrestling there was none of the shit storyline angles in it as well it was just fun wrestling matches so that was a very fun memory and i believe i bought an lax t-shirt while I, was yeah. there. I think that was at the time where people were saying that the television show was almost unwatchable 
because Vince Russo was all over it with his booking, not letting anything breathe. Everything was just being rushed. But when you watched them in a house show where they just did the wrestling, they were excellent. And I think that was kind of a, an accusation that remained with them for some time after that. But they also didn't bring any of those old farts from WWE over. So they didn't really no... have them at that time. That was the thing. They didn't really have any of them at that time. Uh... I remember a cracking match with old Doug Williams, Britain's finest. Mm. As no one's probably ever called him, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm sure people have called him that. Well, yeah, me. <laughs> it's true. Hey, it's hey, true. I've been a big Doug Williams mark for years. <laughs> Just because yeah. of because of that match, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also I also remember as well. We um we got there and it was we got there quite early. It's a Coventry. And you guys insisted that we went in so early and we were queuing for about an hour to get in and I was like why don't we just go to that bar and you guys were like no we're gonna we're gonna get in the queue and make sure we get to our seats and then we got in there and got, waited for about an hour to get in and waited for about an hour after we got in for the straight start of your job and incidentally that match was um against it was AJ Styles uh, he defeated Doug Williams and Jay Lethal in fact I can give you a quick rundown of the card if you'd like if you really want to I know you're desperate so um the motor shit the motor the motor shit <laughs> <laughs> the Motor City Machine Gun versus uh, James Storm and Robert Roode, Bear Money Inc. Awesome Kong versus Gail Kim. Abyss versus Rhino. And I can remember Rhino getting a massive pop. And didn't we see him outside as well? Yeah. Afterwards, I think. AJ Stars versus Doug Williams and Jay Lethal. LAX uh, versus PT Williams and Sanjay Dutt. And then Samoa Joe versus Booker T. Yeah, so there you go. Looking back on it, you're like, that's a pretty banging card. You know, I think they were capable of it. I think they were. And I, I also wanted to say that it's tempting now because of where the company is now and because of the fact that they made a number of very strange business decisions over the course of their history. It's very tempting now to see the company as an irrelevancy. But in truth, from about 2005, Due to arguably 2012, this was the alternative in American professional wrestling. They had a monthly pay-per-view schedule. They had a nationally televised two-hour wrestling show every single week that would regularly do about a million and a half viewers uh, at its peak. They were actually drawing more fans to their television show in the UK than WWE was uh, for a number of for a number of years, and they did have you know the best years of Samoa Joe of AJ Styles of Kurt Angle's careers you know their their peaks effectively were in uh, TNA and you know I think it is worth sort of reevaluating them in history I think the other thing is with what's weird is that we tended to look everyone tended to look at them in terms of the gap that there was between them and WWE but I think when you look back at it now I think you're less inclined to do that and more inclined to think of them actually as still a, a very, I say very successful, but a successful wrestling promotion that was effectively um, a place for quite big stars to go if they weren't in, in WWE or they had an alternative to go to. So obviously Booker T and Scott Steiner and Kevin Nash and Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam all had years in, in TNA. Christian obviously had a number of years in TNA. So not an irrelevancy. And I think that's, it sounds like a silly thing to have to say, but it kind of, I think it's worth saying because I think there's a temptation to write it off in that way these days well yeah because like when i saw it on the schedule i was a bit like oh, i'm fucking interested in that and then yeah. i was like actually you know what so fresh exciting <laughs> so exciting for me lovely look at that lovely yeah. Yeah, as well so i mean i guess we have kind of touched upon our expectations i don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to what you said earlier on i was chatting to tommy away from uh the pod which happens occasionally i didn't realize until i was talking to him so i not started watching it it was it was all cage matches mm. so when i heard that i was up to this point i was like you know what yeah, quite out for this. The last that was a bit like, mm, a little bit nervous. But I was still, I was very intrigued. 
what I was going to see. So this was kind of like my infamous run of saying that I was going in to watch a WCW show with my eyes open and my legs open. And my legs were akimbo <laughs> going into this show. Tom, did you, you didn't, do you have anything to add to what you said earlier on? Not massively. Only the fact that I did have a quick look just to see what the main event was before I went in into it. And I realised that this is Mick Foley versus Sting in 2009. And my asshole went a lap. <laughs> <laughs> in fear not in not in excitement in terror so I, I didn't know what to expect from this i knew it was sort of the vince russo period of tna i knew that it was prior to hogan so i thought okay there's there's likely to be some good stuff on this but there's also likely to be some crap on it and depending on which way that kind of balance came out would really affect how much i enjoyed the show i was also aware though obviously of the fact that it was all cage matches and uh, i'm sure we'll we'll talk about that as we go through the show so talking points and i'm going to yield the floor as as has been my recent uh pattern of doing so uh who wants to go first who wants to who wants to pick out something to, for us to talk about i don't mind going go on then lad my talking point is the order basically the placement of the main events the main event and the co-main events the main event is uh mick Foley versus thing for the uh tna world heavyweight championship and the co-main event is tim team jarrett which is aj styles christopher daniels jeff jarrett and smojo versus team angle which is booker t kevin ash kurt angle and scott steiner i think that should have been the main event the lethal lockdown match it's their biggest gimmick match, so it's kind of like a war games match. So it starts off with one participant entering the cage, or two participants, as, as the fact is. They get into a bit of a scrap, then five minutes later, someone comes in, five minutes later, another person comes in, so on and so forth. Um, and then when that happens, the roof of the cage drops down and there's loads of gimmicked weapons in there they all have a bit of a scrap and then they win and that is also the major talking point throughout the entire show the entire show is basically built around the fact that team angle or the main event mafia are unified they are a one force they're all getting really well together they're good mate it's good mates and then you've got team Jarrett, and there's a bit of aj stars of christopher daniels are still are, are still good friends but there's you know a little bit of um uh, what do you call it friction between jeff Jarrett and Samoa Joe there's a little bit of friction between Jeff Jarrett and everyone really and it's constantly referred to there are multiple interview segments with everyone and the main event between McFerlin and Sting is never mentioned at all during the entire show um, until the match actually happens so my talk about is the fact that I felt that they should be the way around it didn't make any sense to me that the main event was, was a 15 minute match between nearly 16 minute match between McFerlin and Sting in 2009 I just don't see I don't know why you would do that well I guess the only reason will be is that it's for the world heavyweight title so thing is the champion and he's defending against Mick Foley I guess on paper as well it's the biggest match if you ignore what you've just said in terms of name value it's the biggest match it's Sting the icon against the hardcore legend Mick Foley for the world title now I get that there's Kurt Angle and other big names in the match before but I'd argue that that has got the two biggest names or at least two of the three or four biggest names on the show in that one match for the title but I agree I think maybe the problem I've got is not necessarily the placement of the two matches in terms of which one's the main event but more the presentation leading up to those two matches the presentation makes you think that the most important match on the show is the lethal lockdown not the main event which doesn't make a lot of sense so i agree with you but perhaps would flip it on its head and say it's the presentation rather than the ordering that's the problem here i guess you need to think is how jeff Jarrett going to make it all about himself about a match that he's not in very so, true yeah so to the detriment perhaps of the main event because it got to the main event and i'll be honest i don't care about a lot of people on this card even the people that i've historically 
really liked. And they certainly didn't give me any reason to care about the main event either. Now, I will say, for a 60-minute match involving Sting and Mick Foley in 2009, it was better than I thought it would be. So, it's um, uh, as you said, it's nearly 16 minutes in length. It's for the, for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. I was just about to say the WCW World Heavyweight title. <laughs> Sting defending against Mick Foley. And uh, the match ends when Foley drops first from the cage. So, this is, this is pin, submit, or escape the cage are the rules. And basically, Foley, Foley climbs the cage, so does Sting. And then, as they're both sort of at the top, Foley drops first and claims the world championship for himself. It is a, an insane bump from Mick Foley at that point. He just throws himself off the top of the cage, onto not even onto a table or anything, to break the forge straight onto the mat. It's pretty brutal. The beginning of the match is all just a bit mad. And Foley is bleeding before the match even starts. He's just punching himself in the head because I think at the time he's like, Do you know what, I need to get myself over and people interested in this, so I'm just going to make myself bleed. And I think he'd been doing it in promos as well, so I think that'd become a bit of a gimmick and he's supposedly a bit more unhinged than he ever has been in the past. But the kind of the story, if, if there is one as such in the matches about Mick Foley's leg, it gets caught up on the on the top turnbuckle and then that kind of becomes the fact that Foley can't really climb up the cage anymore but then he does at the end and that he said that he wouldn't escape from the door but then tries to escape from the door which admittedly the commentary team do do mention but it still seems a bit weird the bit where he does the drop kick on the cameraman there's a bit so basically the camera he can't get at the door so Mick Foley decides to in, in Winnie the Pooh-esque shape tries to tries to jump through uh, the little hole in the cage that the cameraman puts his head through but he drop kicks the cameraman first and it's magnificent because I was I was almost a little bit disappointed that he tries to get out after that because I just like the idea of him just doing something mad like we discussed thinking at the Rumble 2004 when for no indiscernible reason Mick Foley just puts the mandible claw on Nundu <laughs> when he's just walking past him so I was kind of hoping it'd be a bit like that but yeah it, it was okay I mean Mick Foley puts on a fucking awful sharpshooter on um on Sting at one point <laughs> which is absolutely disgusting and I got a lot of time for Foley you know I, I always had time for him but he he hurt me with that uh, <laughs> he um, didn't hurt sting don't worry no no not at all and to be fair and and to give sting a bit of credit he plays his part in the match too but it's not great and i think we'll touch on this throughout the majority of the pay-per-view but there seems to be quite a lot like not really any rhyme nor reason for many of the things that happen in this match but it was okay it was, like I said, it surpassed my expectations because i was expecting this to be absolute litter and it wasn't so well done to those guys this is uh it's a funny one this because the first five minutes are truly dreadful it's just Mick Foley climbing up things and they're getting thrown off them. I'm like, oh, what's going on here, lads? What's going on? And then, like you said, Tommy, gets his little leg out, his poor little left leg. That's his good leg. Punches with his right hand, kicks with his left. I realised in this match, never noticed it before. But he's uh, he's selling the leg like an absolute champ, as you'd expect. He keeps kicking with it. Like, what's he doing that for? Just really silly. But, I mean, Tommy, to be honest, Tommy's covered the main points of the match quite beautifully as well. But uh, Foley does get the old, uh, after he boots the cameraman, he gets the now sore cameraman to pass him a silver baseball bat covered in barbed wire. So it's a bit of barbed wire around it, so he gets that. And then they're doing the little things. They're in each other with it. Doesn't look like much fun, to be honest, but it looks all right. But then uh, Foley positions Sting in the corner on the floor, as he would when he'd run in with his knee. And he does it with the baseball bat, with the barbed wire baseball bat. And it looks incredible, absolutely incredible. And I thought, you know what? They're winning me over here. And then the finish happened shortly after because suddenly they're, I don't know whether they've, they're suddenly told, sorry guys, you need to get out because we're running out of time because all of a sudden they're climbing the cage and then it's done. But overall, I quite enjoyed this and I was ex- I was expecting horrendous. 
We're not sting guys. We've pointed out, especially Tinky, absolutely hates the guy. <laughs> absolutely hates him. And a 44-year-old Mick Foley, given the shape that he's in, and he's subsequently said how rough he felt as well. I thought this was all right. Now, that's very much relative, as Tommy said, to the expectation going in. But this is as good as we could get. And they get quite a lot of that, lot out of this 16 minutes, I think. And I kind of got to respect that. Yeah, I, I agree. This was better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I don't think it was particularly good. And I put this in a category of instantly forgettable, really. I thought it was, mm. but it was tidy enough. It wasn't an absolute embarrassment, which is what I was worried it was going to be. And actually, I put that, I give the credit for that on Sting, actually, not Mick Foley. I think Sting has a way of handling himself, even late, even now, even when he's wrestling in AEW these days, that still makes you think that he can go, or at least makes you think that what he's doing isn't entirely embarrassing, quite frankly even though he's in his 60s now. Yeah, here it came across again. It just felt like he carried himself, whereas Mick Foley did look old and looked battered and didn't look like he belonged in a wrestling ring, quite quite frankly. You know, he just wasn't in the right shape. He wasn't in a good condition. And it's, it's sad, actually, to see him in a match at this point in his career because he made a decision when he was sort of still in his mid-30s to retire in the year 2000 and he made that decision based on the calculation that he couldn't do what he needed to do to make him and his matches important and, and exciting for much longer because his style was particularly brutal to his body and that kind of calculation was absolutely bang on in my view he was right to feel that that was going to be a problem so to see him wrestling nine years later into his 40s is a real shame and also i don't know why but the fact that he won the world title here made it seem sadder i don't know why but i just felt like oh i and i couldn't remember i couldn't remember if he'd won it or not i was very much reacting to this as if like i you know i didn't know the result so it surprised me and i thought did he really need to win a world title at this point in his life i'd say i'd say no but uh yeah that kind of just added to it for me was was it a bit of a uh, pity win or trying to cash in on the ecw of it a bit with the fact that this pay-per-view is in philadelphia maybe maybe i didn't think that to be honest if that was what it was then i don't think i think they miscalculated the audience because they didn't particularly feel to me like they were particularly behind mcfoley in fact and this is a problem i had with a lot of the show actually is i didn't know that mcfoley was i thought he was supposed to be the babyface but as this match went on and the way he worked the match and the the, the way the pre pre-match build had gone didn't feel like a babyface at all felt quite heelish so i, I don't know but and the main event mafia are heels aren't they they are Sting's but then in. sting had had a bit of a falling out with them and they showed highlights of sting facing kurt angle who's also in the main event of that mafia at the previous pay-per-view but early in the show the main event mafia was saying they were happy because things back in the main event mafia so again it just makes no sense at all yeah he was kind of flipping back and forth a lot i think a lot of them were i mean this is vince russo times right he doesn't really stick to heels and baby faces even though he has heels and baby faces like it's one thing to not have them or not book them at all, and then you can do what you want with them. But it's quite another thing to have baby faces and heels, but then just ignore where they are in that position uh, whenever you feel like it. I find it hard to believe that anyone could be portrayed as a heel, in Sting's case, wearing the coat that he's wearing when he comes down. Because it's like, it's like a Joker coat that, that, that I'd imagine someone who was now coming up with the Joker would draw. Because it's a little purple number. But yeah, I think you're right about, uh, you're definitely right about the match, Tinky, and that you say that this is basically all down to Sting. And I like the fact as well that Sting knows his limits. 
Mm. He is moving very relaxed around the ring. He's not rushing himself. And I think that is the only way that Foley gets through the match. Because in fairness to Foley, he's not in good shape. But he's not blowing out his ass come the end. No. Which is admirable because I fucking would be. But I can't know. I might have to wash my mouth out in a sec, but well done, Sting. And that's not the bit that I'm appalled about. He's my MVP. Wow. <laughs> because he got this out of Foley. And I was uh, I was going to dance around it when it came back round to me. But when you said that, Tinky, I was like, you know what? I've got to commit. <laughs> that's, I'll tell you what, that's I'm not sorry. the first time. Recently, you've given Sting quite a bit of credit. You, were, you said he was the best match in the Spring Stampede main event yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think there was a, I think you quite liked his match with um, Lex Luger at Super Bowl 2. We can all say there's no way Luger was the reason that was yeah. good. Because <laughs> he's, he's never the reason a match is good. So yeah, you've been uh, quite high on Sting recently. Oh man, it's your talk, talking board point time. It is. And I got a fair bit of thinking about this. Normally, I'm pretty steady on what I'm going for. So I'm going to go for the Monster Abyss because I can remember watching, I think it was with you, Tinky, when we lived together, the match with Kurt Angle. Mm. And you said something along the lines of Kurt Angle is so incredible because he gets this match out of Abyss. Yeah. Is that the match where Kurt Angle does that phenomenal somersault? Yes, yeah. the absolutely oh. insane somersault. So he's in a match with Matt Morgan. So, I mean, he's already hamstrung, to be honest. Abyss is in the uh, tinky position every week when it's me and Tom. He's already hamstrung. He's fat. He's buggered. <laughs> but uh, he is a just tremendous character. He's just so good. And he cuts a promo before the match. And uh, he is just putting over what he's been through. So his, his dad used to beat him. He's been in a mental asylum, as I think he terms it. And it's just really well realised and he's all in. And we, we've talked about this before, like how you get so much more out of someone if they're completely in on their character. And he is elbow deep in it. Like, absolutely. Also, I do need to say that uh, the lady who is doing the interviews, whose name I can't now see, uh, Lauren is... She is slightly overselling what Abyss is saying because her facials are quite something to see. She's it's like she's a Z-list actress. But anyway, back to Abyss. So he's got me at this point. You've got the promo. There's the uh, pre-match video, which I will say actually, pretty much all of the pre-match videos are very well put together. I thought they don't always make sense in the wider context of the show, as Tommy said with the main event mafia stuff. It's all very confusing, but the videos are very well put together. Yeah, I was like, you know what? I think Tinky's undersold this abyss guy. I think he's going to be pretty bloody good, and he's not. <laughs> but. It's Adam Bomb. That's what it reminded me of. When I was a kid, I fucking love Adam Bomb because I love the look. I love the music. I love the little explosion at the start of his music. Loved his bulge. Oh, naturally. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Adam's Bomb. And uh, yeah, Abyss has got great music as well. Mm. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> the match is somewhere else. So the rules for the match. So it's a Doomsday Chamber of Blood match. The rules are once you make your opponent bleed, you can then pin or try and get them to submit, which I thought was a neat little take on it and expertly described by Mike Tanay. He missed out on MVP by a Nats Pew, that guy, because he's tremendous on this. But yeah, the match is not very good. 
I'll let Tinky go through the finish because I <laughs> might. Well, I'll, I'll I'll give my one word for you after after finish. Well, as you say, it's a Doomsday Chamber blood match. You've already described the rules. It goes for twelve and a half minutes, and it ends. Oh God, you you would leave this to me, wouldn't you? Because this is a bitch yeah. of an ending. So basically, there's been this whole thing in the build-up where Abyss has been seeing a shrink called Doctor Stevie. We don't know who Doctor Stevie is. They've been effectively off camera, but Abyss has been has been talking to them. In these in these segments and then basically stevie turns up and it turns out to be stevie richards um and he comes out to stop abyss using a steel chair which he's come out to get from the cage and dot stevie's trying to stop him from being super violent so he grabs the chair from abyss that allows morgan to hit a carbon footprint but only get a two point two two count two point what's that um <laughs> abyss asks stevie for the chair but he won't give him it then abyss grabs a bag from under the ring so he'd already used a bag of glass now he puts a bag of thumbtacks out there and then Dr. Stevie gets in the cage, slaps Abyss, allowing Matt Morgan to hit a low blow and a spine buster into the tax and then gets a pin. It's a busy end. It's overbooked end. What's your one word review, old man? So my one word review of everything was terrible. <laughs> That's funny because my, my three word review is altogether pretty terrible. <laughs> my, my, th- my three word review is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so bringing endorsements. But let's get back to the professor. Of Michael Tanay. So Abyss goes into the rain with a chair and Matt Morgan throws it out of the cage, which I must say, given how close the crowd are, a couple of people did this. I was like, it's fucking dangerous, guys. Go careful. <laughs> and uh, the Don West, I'm hoping we'll get Tommy's Don West impression later on. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's like, oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? Like, oh, he's, he's effectively calling him an idiot. And Mike today says, well, what he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to give Abyss the chance to make him bleed. Because once he's bleeding, he can win the match. And I'm like, oh, Mike. Oh, Mike. Oh, lovely Mike. And uh, yeah, and then the, like, the match does probably oh, horrendous. Just the first few minutes are literally like like two oafs walking around, just hitting each other as they take turns, one of them walking away from the other one. And they're hitting them like kind of on the back and then they walk away. And then the glass comes out, the little bag of glass shards. <laughs> which is not oh good. Just uh, as I put, the glass is a terrible addition to these events. Like, just not good. And then it just carries, like, uh, Matt Morgan cuts, cuts a bit. Not very nice. Luckily, he doesn't get him too bad because he's not pissing blood or anything. But then uh, the referee, and I can't remember, this is only yesterday, but he watched it. <laughs> I can't remember what happens to the ref. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, Matt uh, Morgan hits a flying crossbody. And Abyss ducks and it absolutely wipes out the referee, which, sorry to do your thunder, old man, but that's giving, giving him MVP of the night, the old ref. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Because he fucking kills him. Oh, it's lovely. And that is the highlight of the match. In fairness, I've watched better matches where a referee taking that kind of bump would have been the highlight of the match. But this is not good. When the thumbtacks come out, don't get me wrong, they're thumbtacks, they're not very nice. But it's not a particularly impactful move that he hits on Abyss to then pin him. And he takes ages to pin him as well. But yeah, this is terrible, as is Abyss. Even though I thought he was great for four or five minutes, he had me. And he, he had me all, almost going on eBay, trying to buy an Abyss t-shirt. <laughs> and then eventually he now works in WWE as a producer. He does. Yeah, he does. Uh, in fairness to him, he is in the ring with Matt Morgan. So you, yes. have to give, you have to give him that. Yeah. 
This match is not good, as old man said. Matt Morgan, right? We spent a lot of time focusing on the best, but I think we need to focus on how shit Matt Morgan is for a little bit. Because Matt Morgan's in the 2004 Rumble, and it, him, his entry to entry into the ring ended up with me and Tinky talking about Brock Lesnar's career for about five minutes so we could avoid <laughs> talking about him. <laughs> he is proper shit, and he's very, very generic Batista. And Batista, at this time in WWE, was very generic as well. So he is basically, he's not as the smart price cornflakes. He's fucking, I don't know, another brand another even worse brand <laughs> man's not gonna fool me again um <laughs> happy happy shopper yeah happy he's a happy shopper fucking cornflakes that's what he is but i gotta give him credit because in the uh what was it the the blood bath of death match or whatever it's called that's it um he goes for a pin after a drop kick <laughs> it's in a drop kick on a best he goes i'm gonna go for the cover and win this now in this in this most hardcore of matches that's gonna be the win the abyss not using weapons thing is bigged up quite a lot so he obviously, as you said, old man, throws the chair out of the ring. That's his first opportunity to use a weapon. Second opportunity to use a weapon, he goes for it with the glass. And you're like, oh, come on. What, what, at least give it about four or five times where you're really conflicted about whether or not to use a weapon. No, second opportunity, goes for it. Prick. The, the Stevie, <laughs> Stevie, when Stevie Wonder comes down, <laughs> when Stevie Richards comes down, there are big ECW chants for him as well, which I, which I, I thought was quite interesting because... Even though obviously he was like massive in 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 ECW, I, I always think of him as a uh, right to censor Steve Richards. Mm. But again, I wasn't an ECW fan growing up, so. But you're right, it is it is fucking awful. It's a shit match. What makes it not just a shit match, but quite a depressing match, is that literally this is all Abyss has got. Like I dread to think he. I think he's obviously he must have a decent mind for it, you know, because he's a he's now working as a producer. He's been there for a couple of years in WWE, and and he obviously did some pretty good character work because it got you in old man didn't it but yeah, this is all he's right. got in the ring and that's putting himself through enormous amounts of pain to make himself relevant or popular and that in itself is quite sad i don't think any of their my estimation of uh, abyss or matt morgan has gone up in the slightest but you're right though that fucking music is amazing abyss has obviously got something about him it must be he, he must work hard and do what he can backstage to elevate or or help out because he was with tna pretty much throughout their run really um he only left sort of towards the end of well sort of five six years ago and as, as you say is now part of wwe and their kind of group of agents and producers but this is this is really bad and it was always going to be matt morgan versus abyss in a match was always going to be bad i think the worst thing though for me about this is that i was thinking about the main event mick foley versus sting and thinking this is going to take away some of the stuff that Mick Foley wants to rely on for that main event. Like, this is the Doomsday Chamber of Blood. This is between two guys who are not very mobile, who are big guys. They're going to use weapons. They do use bags of tacks and glass. Those are the things Mick Foley would have probably liked to rely on for that main event. And I thought, this is a mistake to to, to book this same this match on the same show, because... At the very least, you want to give, if you want Mick Foley and Sting to be decent, you're going to have to give them as much opportunity to do whatever they want in that match to shortcut it and to make it as good as it can. So this kind of undercut that. And for what? Like, Matt Morgan is the most, Tom, you're right, he's the most, like, he's just a generic big guy. And he's a, a generic big guy who's had more chances, way more chances than he should have been given ever to become a star obviously wwe were interested in him because he was a big guy had a decent look then tna picked him up for the same reason didn't do anything i think ultimately he's a, he's a guy that basically gets chances even though it's clear he doesn't really know 
how to do it. Like someone's taught him the mechanics and that's it. And they've taught him the basics and that's it. And so he doesn't really know how to how to put a match together. He doesn't really know how to build a character. He doesn't really know how to kind of perform really in front of a crowd. He just knows how to do some of the moves. And that's been enough for him to get employment for a number of years in relatively big companies. But the blueprint is has never been um, more of a, a, a an incorrect label in pro wrestling, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I do need to say something. I need to offer Steve Borden, Sting, an apology. Because talking about this and talking about the way that Mike Tanay talks about why Matt Morgan throws out the chair, he's the MVP. Ooh of this night i'm sorry sting it was so close between them but talking about that and reliving that moment in my head i'm like you know what yeah sorry no i think that's fair i I, um when you were talking about i was very glad you picked out because i would have forgotten about it but i genuinely Mm. when matt morgan threw him out threw out the chair i thought what the fuck's he doing he's gonna need that to hit abyss with it but then at that point it hadn't been revealed that abyss had been busted open and Mike Tanay reveals it because Mike Tanay, because uh, Abyss is on the floor at that time. Mike Tanay reveals it with what he says. And you're right. It kind of just changes the perspective of why he's doing it and what he's done right there. And then it's really good. He had a good night. He did. <laughs> Sorry. We need to get back to Mount Morgan because uh, it's time for this week's Tyron Faxton of the so in August 2008, it was announced that Matt Morgan would contribute a sample of his DNA to be launched into space as part of the game designer Richard Garriott's Operation Immortality Project. <laughs> Byron Faxton of the Week. Now, I don't know what that means. Not me. No. Well, I reckon he just fucking jizzed on an astronaut. Yes. Well, perhaps he was applying for a job at Cum Wrestling. Very possibly. Well, all the cool kids are, so it doesn't surprise me at all. So my talking point, I would wanted to talk about generally the show, the cage, the fact that we've got cages in every match, and but actually also another kind of aspect of that. So there's a lot of booking kind of thoughts I've got around this show. I'm going to talk about the queen of the cage match though as a way to get there okay so the second match on the show is called the queen of the cage match and i think the queen of the cage match is basically been put together to allow four women to get on the show separate to the world the, the women's title match because i don't think anyone was keeping track of the queen of the cage as if it was something really prestigious the competitors are odb daphne madison rain and sojourner bolt they're given six minutes to play this one out and 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 it ends when odb spits liquor into to Bolt's face and then gets the pin. This this isn't a very good match. It's a pretty poor match. It's not given a very long and the wrestlers involved aren't that great, to be honest. I think ODB was always more of a character wrestler than anything else. Daphne and Madison Rain did quite well for a while. Sojourner Bolt, I don't really remember very much about. But ultimately, it's OK, but it's 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 really quite forgettable very quickly. But the big, the reason I think that I wanted to pick this up is that it's just really strange that they decided to put this on the show. And it followed the match that it follows, which is the... TNA X Division Championship match, which is a five-way match. It's followed by a three-way tag team match. And there is an additional 
multi-way match as well later on for the Women's Knockout Championship between Angelina Love, Awesome Kong and Taylor Wilde. There's eight matches on the show. Four of them are multi-way matches. There's also a, effectively an eight-man tag match in the Lethal Lockdown and a tag team match. This is already a show where all you've got is cage matches. Now, the cage, once you get past kind of the look of it and you get past the novelty of there being a cage match it's actually quite limiting to the people involved in the match it doesn't give them a lot of scope to do very much they've got just the area of the ring to do anything in and then they've compounded that problem by having loads and loads of matches that have got loads and loads of people in it so there's nowhere for anybody to go in the in any of the multi-way matches there's there's hardly any room at all in the lethal lockdown match there's hardly any room in the tag team title match because there's it's a four-way it's a sorry it's a tag team but it's basically a tornado match philadelphia street fight they call it here so not only have they got all the all the matches in the cage where they've got really quite limited in what they can do they've then added in loads and loads of people so there's no room in any of the in the ring at any time and it's just a real problem that plagues this whole show is just too many people and just not enough space for people to do the work that they need to do in the matches and and this was just an, an example of that this this sort of this queen of the cage match in, in terms of the overall card, I felt exactly the same way. It's only two singles matches. It's mental. Absolutely mental. And the other thing I will say about this Queen of the Cage match, as you said, it's not very good. They've given it six minutes, whereas that absolute shit show that we just talked about went on for <laughs> twice as long, which is very poor. Yeah, I don't know why you'd have so many people in, because it just, as you said, makes everything convoluted and clunky. In terms of the actual match, got a, a YouTube advert for uh, a hair loss treatment, which it wasn't relevant to me. But ODB's pretty over, I thought. Like, out of all out of all the women on there, she's pretty. Oh, there's also an advert for earwax, an earwax remover, which was very serious. I must admit, it was almost like a documentary about how this company, Tvidler, came up with their um with their. Earwax. I actually watched the entire thing. It was two and a half minutes long, the advert. Uh, and I watched that. And if I tell you what, if Tvidler want to sponsor us, I'd be happy to take their money. I think they're a uh, Swiss company. Anyway, well, I, I on, I on, I on. They ain't paying us yet, so you can stop saying their fucking name. For a start. <laughs> okay. The entire match, the commentary team were talking about the main event mafia and the, the match so they don't care about it therefore it's not giving you any reason the match is a bit sloppy Daphne's screaming God rest her soul was quite irritating as it was in that hardcore match that she was accompanying someone to a WCW hardcore match the guy who accompanies uh, ODB looks very much like Joe Exotic the Tiger King but there is one bit that I thought was very good it happens in women's matches doesn't tend to happen in men's matches where they both come off the rope and then they kind of like jump into each other horizontally and pull each other's hair and spin around and land on their faces there's a bit where madison rain and daphne do that and it looks fucking brutal i was very surprised that they didn't come off the off the mat and have their noses completely just smashed into that it looked so savage but other than that it was pretty anticlimactic wasn't a very good match and that was kind of bullet pointed by the fact that odb wins a match with a power slam that finish in a match is 1986 nwa jim crockett territory-esque in terms of an underwhelming finish this is just a way to get ODB on the card, isn't it? That's what I got the impression. It's not very good. I don't know whether this is uh, like a little bit of bias because she sadly passed away late in 2021. But uh, I thought Daphne was really fucking good in this. And I was like, no, I can see what people saw in her. But 
This is a very good. Tommy's stolen me a little point about the commentary as well. They're not interested. But uh, you've also stolen what was going to be my point, Tinky, which is the multi-person matches mm. in this. Because then we'll cover the opener. I don't have a fucking clue what was going on in the opener. I was all over the shop. My notes were horrendous. I was like, I don't know what to watch. I don't know how to watch it. It's too small. They're all over each other. Why are they naked? Then I realized I was dreaming, so falling asleep. <laughs> and then, yeah, really, for me, it gets better because I think the matches are laid out better as well as the card goes on. But yeah, this is a, there's a lot of people, a lot of people very close together rolling around. I meant to talk about this on during a previous show, and I can't remember what show it was now. It might have been the Spring Stampede show. It was because I, I thought about the main event as well. But it's multi-way matches as well massively are overused in pro wrestling and have been now for about 25 years. Since they started happening regularly, which is about 97, I think, probably, they've been massively overused. And for some reason, wrestling fans seem to accept it. That's why I think it's notable. There are things that wrestling fans call out all the time, like, you know, cheap finishes, they'll call out, they'll call out bad babyface or, or heel turns, they'll call out bad psychology, whatever. They Not many people call out the fact that wrestling bookers use multi-way matches as a huge crutch in modern wrestling promoting. It's actually one of the reasons I quite like some of the booking from Tony Khan because AEW don't do multi-man matches. They have battle royals, but they don't have a lot of three ways and four ways and goodness knows what else. And the reason that it's not good to have that those things, or at least it shouldn't, or at least fans shouldn't want it, it's because it's a, it is basically a way of just refreshing something that you've done before, but you now can't do again because you've already used the singles match or you haven't got an adequate singles match to put into a show. For example, we saw John Cena and CM Punk when they were in their feud they just added Alberto Del Rio to it to make it fresh again because they couldn't promote it a fifth and sixth and seventh time as a singles match and uh, I, I think it's not it's not a good thing I'd r- m- always much rather a singles match or a two-on-two tag team match than multi-person tag matches or multi-person singles matches and there's four of them on this show and I think TNA in particular took it to its zenith at times where they were just like oh what are we can do today we'll just have another four-way match or we'll have a five way match or a six way match nearly every pay-per-view from this period begins with a multi-way x division match and they even later on made the x division title a title that could only be contested in three-way matches it was an interesting way of trying to refresh what the x division was and i give them some credit for trying something different but it, it almost was like a parody of itself because they've done that so much in the past so yeah i i, I just think they already were doing too many multi-way matches but in this show it's especially a problem because of the lack of space they've got because of the cage and the cage itself we haven't really touched on it in great detail but the cage itself for every match is just such a it becomes a real anchor on the show ultimately overall it's a novelty for the first match and then after that you're like well okay I'm, i've done with this now and because you because you realize that it's limiting because of the space you actually now know that each match is going to be worse than it probably could be if they didn't have it in a cage the ring itself as well is smaller isn't it because rather than keep the dimensions of the kind of four sided ring and add the other bits on like the edge they've just cut the corners off haven't they 
I'm sure I've read somewhere once that WWE have got a, a larger ring than most other wrestling companies use by a, a couple of feet. So by that standard, the mix this, even though if they were using a four cornered ring in TNA, it would be smaller. It looks even smaller because it's the six sides as well. And there's a couple of bits in it where I know these a lot of these wrestlers have been in TNA for a while, but in I think it might be in the first match, it looks like one person doesn't know where to throw another person because there's so much going on and doesn't have a clear place to aim them for. But like you, you go diagonally across the ring when you're in one corner, whereas this he's like looking around to make sure no one's mucking around in the other corners. Also, the first match, and this is incredibly apparent in that match, the referee doesn't know where to go. I don't even know where the referee's fucking in there, given the rules. I mean, we'll get into that after the break. But yeah, it's just like, why add a ref in there, poor little bugger, unless he's going to take a massive splash. (laughs) Yeah, I'm all in. Well, speaking of referees, one last note on this four-way match for the Queen of the Cage title, I guess you could call it. Earl Hebner is the referee for this uh, four-way match, and he looks completely lost. He looks completely lost in there. Don't don't know what he's doing. I must admit, though, Earl Hebner, the great man, he is second down the pecking order towards Slick Johnson, the other (laughs) referee, the bold referee. What a guy. I don't know if it's Slick Johnson that takes the bump. I don't think it is him. No, it's it's another ref. But yeah, we're going to go Slick Johnson. Okay, well, let's uh, let's take a little break. We'll come back after the break and uh, run down the rest of the show. And when I say run down, I don't mean criticise. I just mean go through it all. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Okay, welcome back. So we are covering TNA Lockdown 2009. That was the Motor City Machine Guns music as requested by Tom Smith. Tom, uh, you've always been a big fan of that music, haven't you? I love it because it sounds like the pause music or like Road Rash. (laughs) that's what i've always sort of said like like, yeah streets of rage i fucking love it because it's so completely out of place with everything else on the card it's a it's fucking genius well done (laughs) 
as, as, as somebody who was a big fan of both Streets of Rage and Road Rash, I'm gonna gonna make a point here. So first of all, Road Rash it fits perfectly. It, you're absolutely right. It sounds like something where you basically are playing the game on one of the levels. That would be the song. Streets of Rage. The music for Streets of Rage is absolutely phenomenal. And I recommend anybody go and listen to it. It is fucking brilliant. Last year, I found the album on Spotify. Oh, my God. (laughs) And honestly, genuinely, it is brilliant. It is so, so good. I was doing work. I was working at the time. And genuinely, I fired through so much work because it was so energizing. (laughs) I just thought it was great. So is this Streets of Rage, Streets of Rage 2, 3? Uh, First one, Streets of Rage 1. So I'm not familiar, that familiar with Streets of Rage. So I remember Axel's in it, isn't he? Yeah. And skates from Streets of Rage 2's older brother. Yeah, Adam. Adam. And who's the other character in it? Blaze, I think is her name. Blaze. And she's in Streets of Rage 2 as well. Yeah. But they get rid of Adam, bring in skates and the, the guy who's a boxer. That's right. I think so, yeah. Oh, what fucking game. What game. But yeah, the, 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 the soundtrack to the first one is just phenomenal. It's actually brilliant. So anyway, yeah, going off on a tangent. I might put that in the break. Fucking Mary City Machine Guns music. <laughs> you can put, you can put the, at least that's wrestling rage. You can put the Streets of Rage one at the end. All right, deal. Fine, done. So we start our show today with uh, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels arriving at the arena and then the main event Mafia also arriving. We then see the Dudley Boys talking about 13 long years in the business and reflecting on their history in Philadelphia Bubba says, <laughs> Bubba says he would not like to be in beer money shoes tonight ahead of their tag team title Philly Street Fight we then get an intro video featuring Billy Corgan quoting his Smashing Pumpkins song Bullet with Butterfly Wings and focusing mainly on a match between Sting and Mick Foley that's who it is I just assumed it was like some slam poetry bloke I don't know was, I thought he was bold Billy Corgan he is is he wearing a hat no he's got a hood up I think there's a type of hat a jace <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I I like the fact they're like uh, the Dudleys or the or the three Ds. I like uh, you're in Philly. Uh, we're gonna have a Philly street fight and then we're gonna fight out of the cage. And I was like, what's the fucking point of having it in a cage then? Save it for another pay per view, dickheads. And Devon well, speaks for more than three seconds, which was yeah. a little bit unsettling, if I'm being honest. Well, and also, Devon says, "Well, there's nothing left to say, and we're gonna say." And there's our oh, <laughs> fucking army. You just said there's nothing left to say. I gotta say, this stuff with Corgan, I really enjoyed. I thought this was a nice little twist on a normal like, entrance video to a pay per view. I thought this was pretty good. And it's nice to see Corgan as well because I haven't seen him since he was in the Oddities. So <laughs> that's excellent. That's very good. So we get straight into the action because we have our first match. It's for the X Division title. Uh, we also don't have an introduction to the commentary team, so we don't know who's talking. No, I know. That's why I said we go straight into the action, Tom. Okay. <laughs> For the X Division title, Suicide is defending against Consequences Creed, Kiyoshi, Sheikh Abdul-Bashir and Jay Lethal in a five-way match that lasts 11 and a half minutes. Ends when Suicide dives onto Kiyoshi and a bunch of security guys to win the match. I guess the aim was to escape. Yes, it was the aim was to escape the cage. Sorry, I watched this only two days ago and I also have forgotten a large amount of what happened in this show. Uh, Tom, let's start with your thoughts on this one. First of all, get a YouTube advert before it even starts which is lovely and it's i didn't point, have anywhere near the problem you had with uh youtube adverts i had fucking loads but i gave in at one point and signed up to premium for a free month so it was it wasn't the bad old uh jaylee fool's doing his black machismo gimmick at the, at the time which i've got mixed feelings about because i love macho man but there's no denying Jay lethal is phenomenal at it his inflection his the way he moves about the ring is like him even walks around on his tiptoes lovely old job kyoshi don't do that it's consequences creed who the fuck's that 
Xavier Woods. Yep. There he is. The young, a young Xavier Woods. Then who's next? Davari. Lovely old job. Ah, lovely stuff. And then, yeah, Suicide comes out. I like the fact that Suicide just appears in the ring. He doesn't have an entrance. He's just there all of a sudden, which I quite liked. Also, I've got to give a shout out to Suicide for this. First 20 seconds of the match, he's still wearing his belt, his X Division belt. Don't take it off. Straight into business. All business. What a guy. The crowd, though, were very quiet at the beginning of this. And uh, then I got. Uh, Another YouTube advert for hair replacement treatment at this point. There are some lovely double team moves from old Lethal Consequences because Jay Lethal and Consequence Greed are a tag team at this point. And they do some very, very nice double team moves. But what I quite liked is that obviously Jay Lethal and Consequence Creed eliminate uh, Kyoshi after a lethal elbow drop, which is a combination move that ends in uh, Jay Lethal hitting a lovely elbow drop. But then shortly after, because it's only a short match as well, I think it was, it's, how long is it? About 11 minutes for four eliminations or four pinfalls or whatever the next elimination is consequence creed gets eliminated by davari who hits the rather tastefully named wmddt the weapons of mass destruction ddt and i was like Oof. <sighs> i don't know about that i think that's a pretty pretty important it's a great pun it's a great pun <laughs> but i don't think it's necessarily appropriate we're looking at it back in a 2022 lens when you think about how uh you know there weren't any <laughs> apparently so you know it's a bit it's a bit rich no, that's um, not true there was one in the impact ring oh of course of course there was they, they should have just invaded that then it would have been much easier it was a davari <laughs> to get in uh then i got another advert about debt which wasn't relevant to me but then that was when i realized after um jay lethal was there for eliminated by davari it ends up just being suicide and um and davari then when it gets to the last two participants that's when you can escape the cage so the first when the first three people are eliminated has to be put by pinfall submission then there's an escape and i quite liked it because kyushi tries to get into a scrap with some security and suicide just goes do you know what I can, I can get off the top of the cage much quicker than anyone else. So he just chucks himself off the cage into all these blokes. Quite an entertaining way to end the match. But the match in itself is a fucking mess. And especially at the beginning, there's too many people in the ring. No one knows what they're doing. And until the kind of set pieces of the double team moves come in, where you've actually got three people in, in the middle of the action and two people just mucking around in the corner, that's the only time there's any clarity in the match whatsoever. And I'm not off to a great start. Oh, man. So Tommy mentioned about suicide wearing his belt. I like the fact that the referee then picks it up and... And he doesn't know what to do with it. So there's about, it's probably only about six or seven seconds where he's holding the belt and he's like, oh, uh, uh, um, I don't I don't know what oh, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what's that. And then he realizes that there's holes in the cage where the cameramen can put their little cameras <laughs> through. So there's not constant grid lines, uh, rail lines, whatever they're called, on the uh, <laughs> <Right>. on, yeah, <laughs> the bloody train tracks. They are they. And uh, yeah, and then you've got like part of the Berlin Wall in front of the cameras. But uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed the fact that they put some holes in there. So I was like, oh, quite aesthetically pleasing for the viewer at home. I gotta be honest. I kind of touched on this before the break. I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Did not have a clue. Didn't know who two of the people were. Suicide and Kyoshi. Didn't know who they were. Knew of consequences, Greed, Lethal, and Davaria, Sheikh Abdul Bashir, as he's known here. Didn't know what was going on. Too much going on. Jay Lethal sells a clothesline magnificently at one point where he gets turned inside out, as the commentators say, and then sells on the floor lovely. So much so that the referee checks on him three times. And I'm like, bloody hell, he has sold quite well there. Realised the cage is high and that Suicide's dive is absolutely stupid. I liked the finish and enjoyed probably the last few minutes of the match, but I didn't really know what was going on. Basically most of my life. <laughs> Suicide here, I believe, is played by Christopher Daniels. 
which means he does double duty on the show, which means he is my MVP of the night. Thanks oh. to his yeah, it could have been Kazarian, but I got a feeling this is Christopher Daniels. I've checked cagematch.net and they believe it's Christopher Daniels as well. There was a lot of people who played suicide over the years, so it's not always clear, but I believe this was Christopher Daniels' time. This is all right, but I, as you said, oh man, I think at the beginning it's very, very messy. I failed to remember that it's elimination until the final bit and then the last two have to escape. Suicide holds on to his X Division title at the end. And for me, it was just it was just lacking something. I think they maybe just they rushed it. I think 11 and a half minutes when you've got four falls, effectively of three eliminations and the final victory. And yeah, it just it felt like typical TNA begin with an X Division match, begin with a multi-man match and have them do some major spot right at the end. Actually, what it really what it really highlighted for me as well was an issue with the way TNA had conditioned their audience, which was to really get excited for these big moments so suicide does his big crossbody off the top rope down onto the security guards and onto kiyoshi and that's really what the fans are waiting for they're waiting for those spots those big big moments this kind of rears its head later in the show as well on a number of occasions i think we've already spoken about one of them mick foley and sting where mick foley falls off the off the side of the cage and it just yeah it just didn't do a lot for me i just thought it was a very very average and tna's x division is capable of more than this a lot of the wrestlers in this are capable more of this a lot of wrestlers on the show are capable of more than this but this was just a bit bit of a nothing for me so next up backstage christopher daniels and aj styles are again there they're interviewed i believe by uh lauren thompson or whatever her name is didn't didn't catch a name i've had to look her up especially because i no didn't catch a name at all on the broadcast they are asked about Team Jarrett and whether or not Team Jarrett is on the same page. Styles says that two of them are on the same page. Daniel says it's good to be home and says that he's a man reborn. Don't know what's happened to Christopher Daniels before this for him to not be there, but obviously he wasn't and presumably he was under the mask of suicide for a large amounts of time, which is why he hasn't been appearing. Well, they're interviewing them both inexplicably. Now, maybe explicably, um, after what you've just said about him potentially playing suicide, he stood there with no shirt on. He's got a <laughs> on and he's got jogging bottoms no shirt and it's really caught me off guard but now if he's if he's just got back and whipped off his old suicide outfit then that could be a very well reason but if that's the case he must have the most incredible sweat glands because he does not look like a man who's just come out of the back of an 11 minute match or maybe they recorded it before no, <laughs> no because if they if they recorded it before there's no way it would be as bad as it is because AJ Styles can't talk <laughs> so no, and um, AJ Styles without his bomb Looks very strange. Mm, I agree with yeah, that. I, yeah, I with, his, with his little cropped hair. So, I mean, some of us can pull off having short hair. <laughs> But no, he no. is a stage. When where you when he... you say some of us can pull off wearing short hair, are you talking about yourself? Yeah. You, you don't have short hair. <laughs> he is very short hair. Yeah, but his isn't very short. I don't know if you know, boys. This is freshly trimmed tonight for you. Wow. AJ Styles without the bob, it really draws attention to how he's got an incredibly thick neck. It's almost bigger than his head, and uh, it's one of those things I always notice about AJ Styles in TNA. Big neck. You know what I say about people with big necks? Big necks next small nuts <laughs> that's something my dad told me from a very young age i thought it was thick necks possibly racist 
<laughs> you're banging that drum, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, I read something a few years back, and uh, yeah, he's uh, I think he's just spit a bell end, I think. After this, we get the four-way women's match, which is the Queen of the Cage match. Which we've They're off, about. done it. Uh, then we get the introduction to our commentary team, Mike Tenay and Don West. They talk about the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title Match that's coming up. They also mention Matt Morgan versus Abyss, three-way title match for the Knockouts title. They also na- mention Team 3D versus Bill money inc and the lethal lockdown and sting versus foley for the world title mike Tenay obviously did very well at spring stampede 99 you were very impressed with his performance there old man did you have any you've already spoken a little bit about him here but what about this team in general you know what i thought they were pretty bloody good these lads i thought they complemented each other very well and what i like is that neither of them is overtly face or overtly heel. They're both kind of, they're kind of just having a chat, giving their opinions on stuff. And I thought it was a lovely little soundtrack. Gotta mm. be honest, I was really surprised because my memories of Don West are Tom's impression of him <laughs> and what I've heard of him, which is that he just doesn't shut up. But I thought they were excellent. Well, it's interesting together. what you said early on about them not being overtly heel or babyface because thankfully this is Don West after he's turned heel. So ah. they were both basically just babyfaces for the majority of their time together. But this was after he turned heel. And that was merciful because he was actually quite quite a good heel commentator. But beforehand, he just got super excited for literally everything that ever happened. And he and Mike Tanay just ended up shouting at all the action whilst they called it for the majority of the time together. But at this point, they'd actually found a rhythm that was was quite good. There's a bit in the Kurt Angle Samoa Joe match when <laughs> Kurt Angle's got Samoa Joe in an ankle lock and. <laughs> <laughs> he then reverses. He kicks like uh, angle in the gut or in the groin, actually, I think. And then rever- and he then reverses it over into the cocaine clutch. Is that what you, is that what's called? That was his, his choke's called. And Don West is beside himself at that point. He's like, he's like, oh my god, he kicked him in the groin, and he's like, and he, he genuinely, and that is not that is not hyperbole. He, he that's what he literally does. He loses the ability to speak. He's yelling so much. Unfortunately, though, with all, all the old Westy, because I was listening out for it. He didn't do at all in the pay-per-view what I think of as classic Don West, which is when he'll go like, and there you go, old man, you're looking forward to this, I can see. He goes, um, he'll talk about AJ Styles, say, for example, and he'll be like, AJ Styles, he's so quick, he's so athletic, he's so agile, he's so quick, he gets around the ring, he's so quick. He's, ah, ah. That, that's, what, that's what he does. <laughs> and he didn't really do that at all in the uh, in the show. Very disappointing. No, as I say, this is, this is his sort of, he sort of found a rhythm now, which is more... <laughs> bearable because he's not constantly on the edge of exploding it, it, it actually worked quite well uh, don west as a baby face on the verge of exploding or ranello well i'd take don west i can't yeah <laughs> so would i so would i fucking eat more ranello he's awful uh, I, another quick note on uh, on don west he's wearing a shirt with on the cuffs some little pattern his tie matches the cuffs class thought, yeah Mm. That's why I thought. I thought you look a bit like a cop, but we'll, we'll let you off. He's got like a filthy goatee as well, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's like proper, right. like yeah, like Tom Jones style, like you <laughs> know, <a> horrible goatee. <laughs> well, like. <laughs> 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 so up next, 
It's a uh, another cage match. Are we pleased to know? Three-way oh, for the surprise. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Titles. So this is the Motor City Machine Guns, who are the champions, against the Latin American, American Exchange or LAX, and No Limit. Um, it's a match that goes for nearly 12 minutes, and it ends when the Motor City Machine Guns win after hitting Naito with a slice bread slash powerbomb combination. Now I want to raise one thing instantly about this match, which I do have an issue with. How the hell is Hernandez? in this match because he most definitely is not a junior heavyweight so junior heavyweight is the <laughs> traditional way of calling a cruiserweight or a light heavyweight um, and is used in japan still to this day and yeah hernandez is most definitely not a junior heavyweight so don't know how he is in this match uh i guess tna decided we'll just make an we'll make an exception it doesn't matter because the Motor City Machine Guns will keep the belts anyway. Of course, sorry. That's that's why they thought they could make an exception because everyone yeah. would be distracted by the music. I didn't even think about him not being a junior heavyweight, no, but no. as you said, as you said, Tiki, he is not. He's no, two of them, so he could have been a tag team on his own because he's a big old unit. But uh, so this is, these are my notes for this match. I lay out the competitors in my notes, and then horrendous music. Pointing to Saban and Shelley, which uh, Tom just demonstrated for us. No, it's not horrendous. It's amazing. Did you not hear him go? (laughs) (laughs) Then my notes are the ring is small, tough for six people and a ref at the start. And then I've got no more notes because I thought this was bloody brilliant. Mm. This was just I thought this was really really well done it's very well paced because they don't get a whole lot of time but what they crucially have here is they have the two big lads well one big lad one not quite as big lad in Hernandez and Homicide who are able to legitimately slow things down and I think it then makes the bits where they go very fast I must say oh Naito and Yajiro may as well not be there. I did feel a bit bad for them because they literally just turn up, have a move done on them, and then they lie down for a bit. But very impressed with Shelley and Steven. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Thought one was the other for ages. That confused me when they were they were calling someone Steven. I said, like, they've got that wrong. It's silly. <laughs> I mean, so, so confident in his, in his ignorance. He yeah, was. <laughs> so please. Please, Don, please. But yeah, I thought this was really, really good. Also, it's very much relative to the last two matches that have come before. First one, I didn't have a clue what was going on. Second one's just not very good. And this is, I feel like this was a very well put together match that, that I thought, you know what, lads? Yeah. 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 M- much like the uh, philosopher Usher, you've, uh, you've uh-huh. deep this, yeah. Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na. <laughs> a note on uh, No Limit. Not my favourite No Limit in wrestling. Because I quite like the No Limit Soldiers. Yeah. From those three, they were pretty good. LAX, always quite liked. Um, They all stood out to me a little bit differently. Hence why I, probably why I bought that t-shirt mm. back in the day. Um, Always liked Homicide. Always thought he looked cool. And I'm always, every time Hernandez is in the ring, they always do a pretty good job at making him seem like a big deal. And I do that. He has some great power moves in the match. Some really fun things to watch. And the other thing I, I wanted to comment actually about the Motor City Machine Guns, apart from that incredible music, is the fact that they feel like a proper tag team. They've got matching attire. They've got the name. They've got they've got the music. <laughs> Lovely stuff. I mean, <laughs> how, does, how does that music go? <laughs> 
but yeah, it was really good. Um, there's one bit, there's one kind of series of moves. So one of the old ring posts get absolute bashing because he just keep, he keep on running into the same ring post, and it's it's a lovely little spot. And Naito, Naito I've actually seen before, mm-hmm. it like a couple of Wrestle Kingdom stuff, and he's the guy who does the big eye, isn't it? He is, yes. Uh, he's like a member of like a, a stable with a Spanish name. Los Ingenables de Japón, I think. They're yeah. Called. So I recognised him and I said, bloody hell, fair play to him. He's been around for a while then. And uh, he does some pretty, really cool moves. And he does a lovely slam at one point. Yeah, I'm with Old Man. I thought it was fun. I thought this match was good. And it's probably my match of the night as well. Because up to this point, it's it's probably the most action with, with the most interesting spots. There's no particular story in it, but you're not going to have a story in this match, are you? And yeah, overall, I, just, I, I quite enjoyed it. And also, it meant I got to hear the Motor City Machine Guns music twice. And and many, many more since, given how many times you've, you've sung it. <laughs> no, today. you've got to hear it. I've got to perform it. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I thought this was a good match. I mean, obviously, this in terms of what you said about Naito there, Tom, obviously, this is where he's doing his excursion. It's quite a common thing that any young lion wrestlers do in Japan is they go out to other promotions across the world and spend a couple of years just, you know, getting some experience, getting some varied experience. Hang on. He's a lion wrestler. Yes, he uh, wrestles lion. lions. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Fucking hell. Yeah. So this was this was early in his career, and he's just learning his trade. And this is one of the ways in which they do it: is they send them out. Um, Yujiro, who's his teammate, Yujiro Takahashi, is also now. I, I don't know a lot because I haven't watched New Japan for some years, but I know that he uh, has had his moments as well over the last few years. But interestingly here, as you said, they're quite nondescript. They're both, they come in, they, there's nothing, they're not, as part of basically that young lion status, is they kind of basically, they act anonymously almost. It's like they're they're just there to learn and that's almost all they do. So they're just there to learn and fig, find look at other people and see what they're doing. So um, it was quite interesting to see them. I think you're absolutely right about Hernandez. I think he just works in this match. Being the big guy, he just does all the power moves and it really means that they can work off of him really well. Motor seat machine guns are always uh, good value, always a good team and have that great music as well, Tom. Mm. <laughs> Just thinking about it now. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I got, uh, I'm a little bit torn because that's the biggest loving I've given to any theme song, any entrance music on this show. But I'm trying to think if I prefer it to. You're not enough for me. <laughs> ah. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know which pips it. They're both incredible. We'll have to put it. We'll have to put it out to the uh, to the Twitter uh, mm. fans and we'll put, put a poll up and see what our listeners favorite is and then that will crown the champion yeah yeah i like that i found this to be strange because and i felt the same way when i watched wrestlemania this year so i haven't actually watched all of wrestlemania still i just haven't managed to do it i watched all of night one watched the first couple of matches of night two and then just didn't get around to watching the rest and by that point you know all the results everybody's kind of moved on so you're kind of less and less kind of likely to watch the rest of it and i really enjoyed the becky lynch Bianca Belair match but not as much as I think I should have done because I didn't pay it my full attention so I kind of had it going on and it was good I could tell it was really good but I didn't know exactly how good after this match I kind of felt the same way about this not that it was as good as Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch but I thought this was good but I feel like I've missed something or I've not fully had my attention on it even though i've been watching it and i'm watching it you know in front of me it feels like i haven't given it all of my focus and so i feel like it's good but i don't know exactly how good because i just got that feeling like i hadn't fully stayed focused during the whole match it was a good match i can't decide whether it's my match or night i will come back to you on that point I'm later interested. in the show I'm, 
genuinely interested to see what your other contender is for it. Okay, well, uh, we will find out as we go. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a heck of a tease, that, isn't it? If Tommy doesn't agree with you, he's going to get one of those steel rulers out, get your bollocks on the table, slap it down. Lovely old job. No, if I didn't agree with Tinky, he's getting my cunt of the night award. (laughs) So then we get all the build up to Abyss versus Matt Morgan and that match. So we'll move quickly onwards to a backstage interview by Jeremy Borash with Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett asks where Styles and Daniels were the last six months when he needed them. He says he's going to look out for himself. Then Samoa Joe walks in and tells Jarrett, no tricks. Jeff Jarrett. Well, let's talk about his hair for a second. I mean, my God. It's luxurious. It's wavy. It's, oh, it's wonderful. But it's in the complete wrong time or decade for that haircut. If he had that in the late 80s, early 90s, it'd be amazing. He's also rocking a very shit handlebar moustache that he can barely grow in, apparently. Um, And he also does his promo to Jeremy Borash. Borash, who is a fucking nerd. I'm going to put it out there. Or Jeremy Borash. Um, and he's unnecessarily harsh as if none of us are nerds as well like you know. well, there are degrees um no um no take that out. cut that shit no leave that shit in yeah <laughs> fucking leave it in fuck um, off borash so it's that music is doing things to me lads but yeah jeff Jarrett does his little bit and then he walks off and then he comes back as if he's forgotten something he's like yeah oh and do what I've always done best. Let's look after Jeff Jarrett. And then goes to walk off again. It's really, really crap promo from Jeff Jarrett, which I must admit, with the exception of the AJ Styles and Christopher Daniel promo, which is a bit crap, the rest of them on the card are pretty good because the Abyss one, as Old Man mentioned, is pretty good. There's a very good one from Kurt Angle uh, later on, and there's a pretty decent one from Foley. So we're in a, uh, it, we've got more good promos than bad. Um, what's up with what Samoa Joe is wearing? Mm. Not sure. No, really weird. He's got the, uh, it's like Maori or Samoan face paint on his face, obviously, because that's where you put face paint. <laughs> and he's wearing weird garb. And I'm like, why is he not in his little pants? Yeah, I think this was a, an attempt to sort of just change him from being a generic wrestler mm. into something else. But if ever there was a guy who flourished as a generic wrestler because he was damn good at it and he looked like a killer then it was Samoa Joe I was just going to say that he could be called Joe and he'd still be the same guy yeah. and he'd still it, be fucking great this would be rather like WWE giving Brock Lesnar some kind of kind of crazy gimmick which they kind of did I suppose the last few months but you know yeah. um, speaking of Samoa Joe there's a couple of clips of him in action at other points in this, in this TNA career and there's a period of time evidently where his hair is amazing it's like Disco Inferno's. It's absolutely beautiful. The amount of backcombing he must do to get the volume on that hair is, oh, what a guy. So then we get Knockout's title preview video. Uh, the match is going to be between Awesome Kong, Angelina Love and Taylor Wilde. The story going into this apparently is that Angelina Love and her beautiful people teammate Velvet Sky and their new teammate Madison Rain have been giving makeovers to some of their opponents. And uh, Awesome Kong and Taylor Wilde have fallen victim to this in the previous weeks. The match itself goes nearly seven minutes and it ends when with Awesome Kong tied up to the cage by her hair so there's a there's a bit of a problem here we don't i don't entirely know what's happened but basically taylor wilde comes off the top rope with a lovely flying crossbody and genuinely looks great but evidently lands awkwardly on angelina love and she appears to be hurt in the process wilde then goes over to kong but kong kicks her away and angelina love 
pins Wild in a kind of awkward way. This seems to be the kind of go-to ending they've come up with when the original planned ending goes wrong because Angelina Love's been hurt. How do you know that? I don't know that for definite, but basically she comes off the top rope. They go for the pin. She doesn't kick out, but the referee stops counting. Then she goes for it again and a similar thing happens. So then Taylor Wilde gets up, walks over to Awesome Kong, gets kicked in the stomach by Mm. Awesome Kong, falls down, and Angelina Love rolls over and pins her, which feels really anticlimactic as well. So I'm assuming she got hurt here. I was going to say, I thought it was quite a silly ending. Mm. I can't really remember much about this match. I'll be honest, I watched it today. Uh, in a bit of a rush and I made notes up till the, this very point and I stopped writing notes it didn't capture my imagination much I must admit but Awesome Kong is great she feels like a real killer in the ring and she does some really good stuff but yeah I must admit I didn't really have much else the, tying her hair into the cage was quite a novel thing to do and I did think to myself well there's loads of wrestlers with long hair so why don't they do it all the time well, that worked let's do it again tie someone's hair to the cage and pop out lovely old job wasn't given long enough to, to be very good but um kind of was as good as it could possibly be with the time that it had especially with the botched finish well this is at a point really where TNA are still kind of scrambling around trying to figure out what they do without Gail Kim who had recently departed to WWE and Gail Kim and Awesome Kong had effectively been the centrepiece of the division and they hadn't really built the division out beyond those two people prior to Gail Kim going or at least not enough Awesome Kong appears to be playing the babyface in this match which is weird because she isn't a baby face. She's never meant to be a baby face. And there's nobody else that's been that well established. The beautiful people, they get over quite to quite an extent. And obviously WWE themselves would try and steal the idea for Lay Cool, which is a very, very similar gimmick. But other than that, they, they were still sort of struggling a little bit for uh, a fully fledged women's division. I must admit, I can remember watching a little bit of it during the beautiful people era. And they were quite good and wasn't billy gunn in there in there as well i think you're right actually yeah at one point i think you're right yeah it's very weird isn't that Mm. beautiful (laughs) the great athlete the best athlete in the wwf best pure athlete jim ross yeah best pure athlete uh but he ain't that beautiful that's poor monty kipsop (laughs) monty kipsop what a name (laughs) fucking hell there's no way no wonder they call him mr ass yeah his name is that shit yeah he'd rather be known as mr ass yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought the first six minutes of this was pretty bloody good. I'll be honest, I thought they worked it quite well. So you've got early on, you've got Angelina Love and Taylor Wilde teaming up to go against Awesome Kong. But within 30 seconds, Angelina Love just wallops Taylor Wilde. So it was like, brilliant. You're done with that. Lovely. Because that's the usual trope, isn't it? So what we know from triple threat matches is two people team up, go against the threat, the bigger threat. And they got rid of that easy. And then Awesome Kong, still no thing, just beating people up, just walloping people, then goes for a... Uh, somersault splash from the top rope on I believe it's Taylor Wilde who rolls out of the way and it is sold by Don West and Mike Tanay phenomenally like they are selling it like they've never seen anything like it they are like oh my god basically what Tom's impression of Don West was that was it that was basically what he did for about four or five seconds and then you get the hair spot which so to give a bit of context for the hair spot so the beautiful people's thing at this time according to the video is they come in and they cut people who they don't think should be in the beautiful people's hair so they can't join because everybody knows if you've got short hair you're ugly <laughs> damn it no short hair is fine short hair is fine it's no hair that's the problem oh <laughs> <laughs> alright in that case I'm alright then <laughs> 
Rockstar, <laughs> save me. <laughs> You'll always have one admirer, wouldn't you, old man, at the very least. Yeah. In, fa- in fairness, Rockstar's only seen you with a vague suggestion of oh, hair. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, sorry, while we're talking about the great man, that fucking Mike Rushmore he, he posted on Instagram today is absolutely first class. You haven't seen it, have you, old man? Oh, of course I haven't. It's on Instagram. It's, it's on the internet. No, not, not Instagram, sorry. It's on, it's on Twitter. My apologies. Oh, um, well done. That is our first... Well, I'm t- contemplating getting it tattooed across my shoulders. <laughs> But anyway, that's the important matters at hand with this match. So, uh, sorry, Rockstar. Get to the curb, son, to be fair. So, for the benefit of the listener, Tom has just shown me it, and it's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> oh. oh, Rockstar. But yeah, anyway, shut up, Rockstar. Um, <laughs> get, get back in your bloody cage, you. Yeah, so there's the hair spot. The person outside the ring, who is Velvet Sky, ties Autumn Kong's hair to the cage. And then Taylor Wilde does the splash. And it's pretty obvious that something's gone quite badly wrong because Angelina Love is all over the shop and I don't know the referee's name which is annoying and I wasn't able to find it out but the referee handles this wonderfully I thought because what he does is he's talking to Angela Love for quite a bit and then Taylor Wilde puts her in a chin lock and the whole time he's just talking to Angelina Love so he's trying to figure out if she's okay and then they just go to the finish that you explained Tinky I was disappointed because I thought it was going to be a little bit of a crack in this I thought this could have been really good obviously happy to hear that Angelina Love's okay because she's still all right but uh yeah I thought it was just handled really well and I wanted to give the Shout out to the ref. So well done, nameless ref. <laughs> and of course, Tom's also got nameless ref as his MVP. It's possible it's the same person. Who knows? Very much yes. so. If that's, a, if that's the case, what a guy. Um, it's definitely the same person. So there's only three refs on the card. Fair enough. Yeah, I thought this was all right for what it was. But again, they, they are struggling with their women's division. It's only seven minutes long. They have the botched ending. So there's not a lot you can... In the end, there's not too much you can take out of it. They've got a new champion. I think it makes perfect perfect sense to get the belt off Awesome Kong because she's going to be too dominant to hold the belt over everybody else. So getting the belt off of her and into the beautiful people who are undoubtedly the main focus of the knockouts division to come over the months that are ahead. So next up, we get the Dudley Boys interviewed in uh, part of the arena surrounded by fans. Devon says this is like a homecoming for them. They say that by the end of the match, Beer Money will have more cracks in their head than the Liberty Bell. He's, or he, being a Bubba Ray, has evidently only just listened to Welcome to the Jungle for the first time. (laughs) Because he says, Axl Rose just said, Welcome to the Jungle, baby. You're going to die. And then there's a video package afterwards in which he also says it again. So it's become a thing. He's like, hello, this is going to work. And he's either forgotten he said it or he just loves it that much. He just keeps repeating it all the time. A little bit like me with your... This is fucking shit. And I (laughs) hated it. Because it goes on for probably two or three minutes. Feels like about a month. And they are fucking licking Philadelphia's asshole. Clean out. And going on about ECW. And I'm like, fuck off, you idiots. Because this is pathetic. Just pathetic. Couldn't even say it. That's how worked up I am about it. It was pathetic watching this. You're better than this, you two. And then I realised, actually, you're probably not. But, oh, terrible. And they're drinking beer before a match. Stealing James Storm's gimmick. And I was like, <laughs> come on, lads. Oh, shit. Fuck off, Dudleys. Bubba Ray Dudley, there's something he, I saw he, he'd said recently, and I can't remember what it was now. But whatever it was, it reminded me that I think he might be the most repugnant man in all of pro mm. wrestling. I genuinely don't like him whatsoever. I find no. him 
absolutely incredibly disagreeable. And this also came across during this promo. I did like the video that follows the promo because I thought that it did quite a good job of hyping up and building up the significance historically of the Dudley Boys, which is obviously important for them to do. They're a big act within the company and Team 3D, of course, have won tag team title belts everywhere. And they kind of had them compared to the Steiner Brothers and the Legion of Doom and to other great tag teams from the past so quite like that but overall yeah i don't like him how did they get access to some of that footage in those things was it because there's like footage of like the steiner brothers and obviously the steiner brothers in that iteration of them where it's like the proper steiner would, brothers back from the 90s it would be from new japan i imagine oh okay right. also uh included in the little roll call of greatest tag teams of all time paul and nash both of whom are just leaning on the ropes in the little bit that they're shooting. I was like, that, that sums it up. Hey, that, that lean on the ropes is their greatest com- uh, contribution to TNA. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We're about, we're about to get one in the next match, lads. The match after the next one. Oof. Yeah, so that is the next match. Team 3D, the IWGP Tag Team Champions against Beer Money Inc., James Storm and Robert Roode, the TNA tag team champions in a Philadelphia street fight, which I don't understand the significance of, given that this is also in a cage, as is every match on this show. Uh, it's 15 minutes in length, and it ends when Roode is 3D'd through a table after Storm accidentally throws the cage door into Roode's head, and the Dudleys get the pin. Oh man, your thoughts on this one? Well, we get the world's smallest split screens, which is actually quite hard to say. It's the first time I tried to say it. The world's smallest split screens. So they have them where they're, they're fighting in the crowd. They go out to the crowd and they're fighting and it's boring. But they feel the need to show both parts. So Brother Ray and Brother Devon beating on one of Storm and Rude. And uh, they're doing that and they show them on the tiny little split screens. And it goes on quite a while. It's quite boring. And I'm like, this is going to be fucking awful shit. And I'm like, I've already knocked off about the promo that they've done. And I'm annoyed. Then they get into the ring. And it, that's all you want. You get at least probably eight to ten minutes in the ring. Classic Dudley stuff. Bit of power moves. A, a bubba bomb from the top rope onto Robert Roode, which he sells fucking phenomenally. And it always looks like it hurt, that move. Especially I'm, off that rope as well. <sighs> Yeah, the fucking piles that Robert Roode must have had after that. Fuck me. The most over thing in this match, which is always <laughs> with the Dudleys, is the table. Yeah. People, all of, all of a sudden, you can tell there's this point where it must be about 12 minutes in. The crowd start to lose a bit of interest. And then they're like, we want tables. And then poor old brother Ray, sorry, brother Devon, goes out to uh, get the table. God, it takes him about a week. <laughs> to get this statement. He's so slow. Don West addresses it. He's like, oh, it's taking him too long. It's taking him too long to get the uh, to, to get the thing out. But with the finish, being what it is, with uh, James Storm swinging the cage into Robert Roode, I thought it was quite a nice little finish. You get what you want. You know what you're getting. You know what you're getting from the promos as well beforehand. I thought this was all right. I thought this was no better than all right. But all right is a lot better than I was expecting given the first three or four minutes. It's just your classic Dudley Boys match in there. You know exactly what you're going to get. And it's not always going to be good, but you're going to get at least a moment of slight excitement with a table spot. Now, 
on, on those table spots, I think the first We Want Table shout happens about 10 seconds into the match. Yeah. <laughs> straight away. Like, genuinely. And you're like, fuck it, you're going to get that. You're going to get them. <laughs> Do you want know I me? Mean? Like, just be patient and let's be honest. They haven't got anything else. The Dudleys. That's it. So you're going to get it. So don't do the fucking chat. Imagine if they didn't. I'd have loved that. And then for the Dudley boys to come out and do like a real like existential promo and just be like, you know, guys, there's more to us than tables. I'm a father. You know, <laughs> Devon used to be a vicar with Reverend <laughs> Batista or whatever it was. You know, like there's more to us than just the tables. Then, after they get their tables come out, the greedy cunts in the crowd start sh- saying, we want fire as well. Hey, <laughs> yeah, absolutely fucking shower cunts in that crowd. The main thing I had, my main highlight of my match was watching Devon struggle getting that fucking table out because that's literally all he does. That's that's it. That's the only thing he, he's done that more in a wrestling ring more than anything else, and he can't do it properly. He's struggling. He's getting stuck. I think it's because I think he's struggling to get it into the ring as well because of he's got to get it through the cage door. But yeah, it's just daft, silly match stupid crowd fuck off it was all right <laughs> yeah i mean it, that's it it was all right that's about as much as i can say for it it was all right again it's just gonna be very instantly forgettable for me and i think going back to what i was saying earlier about the way that tna have conditioned their crowd this is another example they've conditioned their crowd to expect and want a tables thing a tables I, spot I, that's it i wouldn't necessarily blame that strictly on TNA. no no, I think that's fair. But maybe the thing is, is that they've signed them in the recognition that they fit with their usual kind of the way they book everything, which is to to build to one quote unquote high spot. And in this case, it's the tables. They chant for the table straight away. And it's just, you know, I hate that chant. But I also just don't get it. I just don't get why anyone's excited about a table spot since about 2001 table spots have been done like I, I just don't get it i don't understand why anyone would be excited or chant for it and they still do it now for some people i just don't understand it it'd be like ch- it'd be like chanting for a last man standing match like last man standing <laughs> no you don't want to see a last man standing match it's rubbish and so are table spots submission match <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like mark henry comes out 15 minutes 15 minutes <laughs> i tell you what lads imagine that imagine the time we'd have watching a 15 minute mark henry match western superman's finest yeah definitely it just sounds as that do you know what right 15 minute mark henry match just with that you know like how new jack always had his music playing in the background for some inexplicable reason the motor city machine guns music just playing in the background the entire time for this 15 minute mark henry classic what a moment uh, just a quick note on uh brother ray bubba ray he's apparently going to be the next guest on the stone cold show on the network the broken skull session so be interested to know if he is an attic because if he is an Atacan and he tries to play that right with Austin, Austin will fucking have his eyes. Also, Devon is enormous. They're both in questionable shape, aren't they? I think for even the Dudleys, like they're in ECW shape. ECW, ECW. No, but, no, but I want to say enormous. I mean his arms. His oh, arms I, 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 I give his arms. Too, too distracted by Bubba Ray's gut. <laughs> In fairness to Bubba Ray, he got in tremendous shape. Um, Later on. About 2013, he was in fantastic shape and had a decent singles run in TNA at that point. Became the, heavy, the world champion, didn't he? Bully Ray, was that his name? Certainly did, yes. So then we go to another backstage bit, which is Jeremy Borash in the locker room of the main event Mafia. Angle cuts a promo saying it's about Booker T getting revenge on AJ Styles for taking the Legends title. It's about welcoming Sting 
back to the main event mafia. It's about Scott Steiner proving that he can still go. Angle then says that you win with your head, not your heart. I just like the fact that Booker T sat in the background reading the newspaper, <laughs> having a lovely time. And uh, and he looks around and he's proven that Scott Stone can still go. And <laughs> Scott Stone is like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I okay, can. Whatever, fuck off. Angle looks fucking awful. Very he slim. Looks, very slim. Oh, as well, he's so thin. And having heard him interviewed about all his drug problems, I was like, fuck, no, he must have been deep in it. And we'll get into this in the match. I was expecting like a bit of a disaster from him. But uh, just think these little things aren't there it's these little things when you watch something that isn't wwe that you notice like to tom's point booker t booker t is sat directly behind where angle is stood it's just no reason for it just, i didn't even know he was there and then and then i heard the rustle of the paper and then angle stepped out the way and booker t's there i want to see him i want to see queen Charmel. two hall of famers there <laughs> and then kevin nash walks in hall of famer yeah and uh I think that's the most he moves in the whole match. <laughs> I thought the promo from Angle was quite good. Though. Yes, right. He was always good at that, wasn't he? He was always he was always a good stick man. Yeah, they, he's very much playing as well, much more kind of serious character here than he did during his height in the WWE. They 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 utilize him as a serious fighter basically in TNA. But this is not just the main event mafia. This is the Hall of Fame mafia here. This is a Hall of Fame group of wrestlers including sting of course and kurt angle and even scott steiner now following this and, well, and queen charmel and queen charmel yeah but that, that point's already been made by old man so we then get a hype video for the lethal lockdown match and it is team angle versus team jarrett as you said earlier on in the uh, podcast tom team jarrett is aj styles christopher daniels jeff jarrett and samoa joe team angle is booker t kevin nash kurt angle and scott steiner this is a lethal lockdown match which is effectively the same thing as a war games the only difference really being that once everybody's involved a big old uh, ceiling comes down on the cage effectively and includes a load of weapons that they can all hit each other with i'm not going to go entrant by entrant as we would do in some of the war games matches in the past mainly because I'm still a little bit ill and i haven't got the energy to go through the whole thing <laughs> allow me to, to do that for you to talking about the order which they go on then lovely so uh first of all you get uh kurt angle comes out first then you get christopher daniels then you get booker t then you get aj styles then you get scott steiner then you get samoa joe who turns up late because he's having a little chat with someone backstage apparently then you get kevin nash and then you get jeff jarrett and it's interesting because that order is so predictable that's the weird thing about that you just know that angle's going to be the first one out for his team you know that booker t is going to be the second one out for his team well they're going they're going in terms of mobility exactly <laughs> exactly and you know it and and you know jeff jarrett's gonna be last for his team because he's got at least mobility most motherfucking hell, I can't <laughs> say. Fucking hell, easy for you to say. It's not at all easy for me to say right now. But, you know, yeah. it's the same same principle on the uh, on the babyface team. Not not just that. I think the first three could come out in any order, to be perfectly honest. Maybe. Of uh, Christopher Daniels, AJ Stars and Samoa Joe. You could say they kind of ramp up in terms of star power at that time. But obviously, again, Jeff Jarrett's got to be last because, again, he's got to make it all about him, hasn't he? Mm. I can't remember much about this match because this was uh, quite a hectic afternoon I had. But I laughed. <laughs> I fucking laughed out loud when Kevin Nash came out because his hair is all over the place. He looks like he's just come out of a wind tunnel. His hair is all over. The- and then he makes an attempt to jog down to the ring. And it is the most agonizing thing I think I've ever seen. It is the slowest jog to the ring of all time. And I actually properly laughed out loud at it. I was howling to myself. <laughs> Like that. He's also so, got a big old um, elbow pad on because he's had 
a staph mm. infection prior to this. Yeah. So that made you laugh, Tommy. So early on, we've got a couple of things that made me laugh. Angles wear these stupid little boots. Don't really know what they are. They look like just normal trainers. Looks like he's forgotten his wrestling boots. But I think they're shoot wrestling boots. Yeah, they're supposed to be like, yeah. Oh, are they? Martial oh, they, arts they type boots. They don't match the outfit. They threw me. Ah, oh, terrible. Anyway, so Daniel's an angle. Have a little uh, exchange. Not bad. First five minutes. All right. Daniel's gets angle in a submission hold. Now, admittedly, the match can end. We know this. But we know the main event mafia are on the same page. They're brothers. They're Hall of Fame brothers and sisters. And uh, Booker T then gets his entrance. He does his whole entrance. So he does the little leg in the air and arms up in the air, gets his pyro, and then saunters down to the ring. All the while, Angle is still in this submission hold. I'm like, fucking hell, mate. You're not even rushing. It's just pathetic. Mm. Pathetic. And then Daniels is getting double teamed by Booker T and Angle when Styles' music hits. Styles runs down, straight down. Lovely old job. Great stuff. He gets it. And Steiner comes out. I mean, he's fucking... He's hotter than... A fart after a curry. <laughs> this guy. He hits a belly to belly from the top, from the second rope, and then he hits a Frankensteiner from the top. Fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, like, you may as well just quit because you've topped out the match just there. And I was like, you know what? This is lovely. Then Samoa Joe comes down, like Tommy said, and his music, uh, I didn't realise, is quite similar to his WWE music, but it doesn't quite kick in with a bum, 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 bum. His music didn't end WWE either. Well, it kind of did. Yeah, yeah it did. It went da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Cause, it cause didn't, didn't, co- it didn't it go... <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, he'd still be in the company if it did. Um, he, Because um, he used to come out in Ring of Honor to Simon Says by Pharaoh Munch, which is the da, 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 Simon Says, get the fuck up. Da, 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 da. That's what he used to come out to, which yeah. is a banger, and which WWE did a very good job in replicating without getting sued. Lovely. A little note on Kevin Nash. So like Tommy says, he has a little jog and then uh, it gets in the rain, throws a couple of punches and then immediately hurts his elbow. Like immediately. And like, I got to be honest, right? He's not my favourite guy in the world, but I really fell for the guy. So I was like, oh, he's just, he's just trying to do a good job. He's just trying to bury some talent. And he can't because his arms are, he can't bury the talent. And then stuff happens and it gets all a bit shit after that. <laughs> Just peaked with Kevin Nasher and his elbow about nine seconds into the match. <laughs> I think it peaked with the Steiner stuff. I was like, he's got to be shit by this point, surely. 2009, yeah. Scott Steiner's got to be absolutely fucking dog shit. Nope, comes out, belly to belly, yeah. suplex, lovely stuff. Frankensteiner off the second row. Oh, oh magnificent. The, the thing what is, we, just, we watched the last show that we did together we watched it was from 1999 so 10 years prior and he admittedly at that point is past his best but this is 10 years down the line and he's no worse than he was in 99 so fair play to the guy he probably is worse than he was 10 years down the line i mean in fairness he's one of eight people in this match and Mm. after he does those two things goes missing for the rest of the match because everyone does because everyone's quite anonymous because there's just eight people and weapons in this small confined fucking cage in a fucking broom cupboard yeah (laughs) which is why i've decided now that the tag junior the iwgp junior heavyweight tag team match was the best of the night 
this was the only one that I considered maybe you know getting in there because there were some good points and I think specifically just the Scott Steiner spots uh, I really enjoyed. There was some weird stuff as well. So who was Samoa Joe talking to? Do we do we know from this later on? So after Jeff Jarrett kind of teases uh, a heel turn on the uh, on on his team, he doesn't actually turn heel on them and hits a hits a chair over Booker T's head which ultimately leads to his team getting the victory. But then after the match, out comes Bobby Lashley. And Bobby Lashley looks at the ring, points at them. Jarrett and company look a bit worried. The main event mafia look a bit happy, but it's not clear that he's joining the main event mafia. It's not clear that he's against Jeff Jarrett. And then everybody just disappears. So I didn't understand any of that stuff. There's a bit of commentary from Don West, because Kurt Angle's looking very happy Mm. when old Lashers turns up. And Don West goes, oh, the main event mafia had something up their sleeve all along. Use it in the match, you fucking dumb cunts. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it makes no sense whatsoever. And also, I've got Mick Foley, simply because of his age, takes the award for the most moronic spot of the night. A very close second mm. is AJ Styles yeah. with a, <laughs> what can only be described as a jumping splat off of the top of the lethal lockdown cage, where he manages to seemingly, despite there being a cluster of people in the middle of the ring, seemingly manages to avoid all of them and nearly kill himself. Mm. Fucking idiot. I tried to kind of think about why that may have happened, because we know AJ Styles is an incredibly capable wrestler. Even then, he was a very, very good wrestler very and very smart and always seemingly looked very safe or ignore the fact that he broke about 15 people's necks with the old Styles clash. But what I think he does is he tries to make it look like one of the we discussed about when we were talking about the um elimination chamber pay-per-views when you got like someone like Callisto going up to the top and just hanging there for ages and then everyone gathers and looks up to make sure they're in position and then it completely takes you out of it what i think he tries to do is just try to make it look more spontaneous and just assumes everyone's in position but evidently they're not and he just fucking makes a grave error almost it's well, it's a bizarre well, he does it choice through the top does he through the ceiling mm. like which when i was watching it and they show the replay i don't quite know why but uh yeah it must just i don't know whether it just knocks where he's supposed to land because he like you said tommy he must just get directly in the middle of everyone which is quite I, impressive yeah that's gonna say <laughs> quite a task yeah perhaps he's that good the whole bit on the top is pretty terrifying to be honest mm. like, i'm not i'm not one for heights and this is pretty high on top of that cage and i also know there's nowhere for them to go apart from onto that guardrail if one of them does fall off but that's unimportant because that's dangerous stuff scott steiner gets more kudos because he gets hit with a kendo stick and he makes an absolutely incredible noise he's like he's oh scott steiner oh what a fucking lad to round this match up this is fucking dirt now that we're talking about it so like you said tinky the iw GP junior heavyweight tag team championship match gets my match tonight as well. Talk about great noises. I just got to put it back to the main event. Mick Foley makes some great noises at one point where he's getting his face grinded into the cage. <laughs> and uh, so, so that it, I was cooking tea as that match was on, as I was watching it. And my, my wife just walked in and just started going, because ah, 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 that was the noise that Mick Foley was making. <laughs> 
Mm. Lovely. Um, yeah, so I don't really know what the end bit was all about with Bobby Lashley. They didn't make it clear. We don't know who Samojo was talking to before he came out that delayed him coming to the ring. It could have been Bobby Lashley as well. The biggest pop of this match was reserved for Booker T's Spinner Rooney. Um, <laughs> they love it, don't they? Which, in fairness, should be the biggest pop in every match he's involved in. I didn't think it was terrible, this match. I thought it was quite enjoyable, but it isn't as good as the earlier three-way match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. The only thing we haven't discussed is the interviews prior to the main events. We have Sting interviewed about his coming match with Foley. He says some stuff. That's all I've written. He says some stuff. I can't remember what he says, but he keeps saying the same thing all the time. He keeps repeating himself, and I can't remember what it is. So it didn't leave that much of a lasting impact. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Jeremy Borash interviews Mick Foley. Foley says that Mick could not be here tonight, and he appears then to amend the rules of the match. So it's also worth saying that not only is Foley the number one contender, or maybe not the number one contender, but certainly the challenger for the world title, um, but he is also a a shareholder in TNA, or at least that's the storyline, is that he is a, a shareholder in the company. And he appears to make the match rules, which say it's escape the cage as well as pinfall and submission. He's also obviously intimating that Cactus Jack will face uh, Sting, not Mick Foley. That's the idea here. Although no one actually says Cactus Jack's name. No. I don't think there's a trademark thing though here because he's wearing a Cactus Jack t-shirt. No, they do. Uh, when he comes down to the ring, Mike Tenay says it. Right. But I think throughout the match they call him Mick Foley or Foley. But and he's they... announced as Mick Foley as well. Yeah. Weird. Anyway, um, so that's uh, a lot. I've got one very important note to add. So Tommy's MVP, the referee, is a guy called Rudy Charles, which is a great name as well. He's he's got it all, this guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a film called Rudy. Do you reckon that's about him? Ah, uh, must be. There's also yeah, a song uh, with the specials as well. Is the film the one with Sean Astin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. That's right. Stop, that's right. Stop Mr. around. Better think about your future. Da, 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 da. That's not how it goes. That's not how I message to you, really, guys. It does say stop your messing around, though. Stop your messing around. There we go. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I was trying to find the best time to come in with that, and like it wasn't opening itself up, so I'm glad you did it. Yes, yes. But go on, go on, Motor City Machine Guns. So that is the whole of this show, our first foray into TNA. Um, and we now need your scores out of 10 and your overall thoughts on the show. Let's start with Old Man. This is a tough one, this, because I didn't hate anything. I didn't like the Matt Morgan Abyss match because it's terrible. I didn't like the first part of the Team 3D and Bear Money Inc. match. The first match I got, still don't know what happened. Still confused as to what happened. But apart from that, everything was just all right. So I'm going to give this a six, I think. Get, it gets gets a little nudge above five for the Motor City Machine Guns music, <laughs> for their match, and also for Mike Tanay and Don West. Yes, you were you were pleased to have a competent commentary team here. You I were. was. Yeah. yeah, which I think the listeners will say that we probably haven't been this evening. <laughs> Tom? I think that was, I think that was very generous. I, I, I personally, I would never ever watch anything from this again and that i think i count rewatchability as a uh, as as a bit of a factor when it comes to reviewing these shows looking at the matches there was a apart from the, the motor city machine guns match which we all unanimously unanimously 
um, voted as our matches of the night. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even watch that again. But that was the best match. I wouldn't massively say I hugely enjoyed everything, but nothing really was offensive. I'm giving this a three. Yeah, I'm giving it a four out of ten. I wasn't imp- particularly impressed by this as a show overall. And I think, honestly, the biggest problem is it's all in a cage. If if all they had was the lethal lockdown in the cage, I think the rest of the show would have been pretty good. And I think the good, the best parts of this show would be much better. I think you'd find the X Division match would be better. I think you'd find the IWGP Junior Tag Team title match to be better. I think that the even, honestly, even the Dudley Boys versus Beer Money Inc. would be far better as well i just think the cage just makes this a whole bunch harder to watch by match two you're already over the novelty of the cage and you're just crying out for them not to have it because it is actually making things harder for them as it goes on so there wasn't a lot that i will live long in the memory as tom said it's not much i would probably nothing here really that i'd go back and watch again and that was a shame because i was hope i was hopeful that there would be something of real quality on this and unfortunately I don't feel like there was. I think that the thing that the people who enjoyed or have enjoyed the show in the past will have enjoyed will have been that TNA thing of providing spots in nearly every match. There's some kind of over the top thing that takes place in every match, which pops people. And I also think that it's possible that the reason TNA persevered with lockdown, despite its obvious problems is that because they didn't really sell a lot of pay-per-views in general you know i think they were kind of a good number for them was sort of twenty thousand. now if you compare that to say AEW, do around about one hundred and fifty thousand per pay-per-view you get some kind of indication of how few people were actually buying their pay-per-views not only that but they had actually more weekly viewers on impact than these days dynamite does now obviously it's a different world but you know ultimately it kind of shows that they weren't converting watching audiences to their pay-per-view buying people i think when you're doing so low in terms of those buy rates if you get enough people that find the the idea of all cage matches niche enough to kind of want to watch it that it probably does better numbers than most of your pay-per-views even though actually it's not particularly good concept so that's probably why they persevered with it not a great show for me but it was it was okay there was it was nothing of well just gonna say there's nothing offensive that uh, abyss matt morgan match did come quite uh close to being offensive but uh, they just about got away with it it was a bit overbooked and it was a bit crap just a, a little note on old bobby the lasher lashley yeah so i just had a little quick scan through while we've been talking so uh, up until hard justice 2009 which is in august uh he doesn't have a match on pay-per-view i don't know whether he does after this so i don't know what he did whether he just turned up and then he was like, bye. I wonder if he they he was still fighting in Bellator. Yeah, they were doing a lot of crossover stuff with Bellator for a, uh, for a while. Spike, who had Impact, also had Bellator, I believe. And uh, so they did a lot of crossover stuff with them. It's interesting what you've said there in your uh, little roundup, Tinky, because I think that it got a little bump from me because it was all in cage. Mm. And I think that it managed to hold my attention, which when Tommy told me, I thought, oh, not going to enjoy this at all. And I thought I'd instantly take a game And then when I watched the first match, I was like, oh, oh no. And it all perked up a bit. There was a lot of stuff I thought was going to be dreadful that wasn't. So well done. Yeah, I think for me, it was just, I 
think that TNA is capable of good wrestling. If you ignore the stories and some mm. of the booking, I think it's capable of some really good wrestling. I just didn't think we got any of it here because the cage was there. So that brings us all up to date. And we've finished our review of TNA Lockdown 2009. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Big respect to Tinky for soldiering on with COVID. But don't you worry about that. You just got to, what have you got to do? It's the three eyes. Great review from a member, Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you very much yourself (laughs) (laughs) lovely this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back again next week but until then take care